We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Welcome to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio, alongside Alan Williams. It's been a minute. I've been in Qatar at the World Cup. Alan's been holding down the fort here in Gainesville, Florida. And as is the modern college football scene, Alan, it never stops. It never sleeps. I was gone for a matter of weeks, and it feels like I was gone for a lifetime, given all of the news and things that have occurred. And we are here today on this episode to break down all of the things that have in fact occurred, give you our thoughts, our opinions, our analysis should be a great show on tap for you here this holiday season. Yeah, it's fun. How are you feeling? You're back uh, from another country, the World Cup. How was it? It was a blast. Obviously, a lot's been written on Qatar. I wrote quite a bit on my own kind of personal social media on the experience in Qatar. But all in all, without spending a whole podcast on it, we were able to see 12 games in eight days which will probably never be possible again. It would never was possible before, given the proximity of these arenas and stadiums. Got to see Messi, got to see Ronaldo, got to see Luka Modric, got to see pretty much every major player uh, you can saw imagine. Saw two U.S. games. Saw two U.S. games, saw the U.S. beat Iran, saw them take the L to the Netherlands. Um, the atmosphere was amazing. You know, To be chanting USA at a World Cup, cheering your team on is, is pretty great. And then today I got some potentially good news that... The ongoing Burhalter feud with one Gio Reyna may be Burhalter's undoing. Mm. And although we have not discussed this before, you're not uh, a Burhalter fan. I am not a Burhalter fan, and I want so desperately for the U.S. team not to be led by anyone related to the MLS. That's my U.S. soccer hot take right there. But it was a really fun experience. The five of us that were there had an absolute blast uh, covering the country. We went in the desert. We spent time all over the city. And if you've not been to Doha and Qatar, the major city there. It's sort of and who like among us hasn't though, right? Right, right. It's sort of like a ghost city. Like everything is built. It's like a facade, like a soundstage. All these buildings are built that you'll see on television, but most of them are empty. So it's bizarre feeling. Super wealthy, lots of really cool architecture, but not like it's not real. It's not authentic. So it's got this sort of uh uncanny valley in the real world feeling to it that Epcot you're, vibes. Yeah, but Epcot gives you like 
great vibes. Like it's not <laughs> real, but it's like there's actually real people in Epcot from that place. But the history of Qatar is rather fascinating, and I'll give you just 30 seconds on it. Qatar was basically a Bedouin desert all the way up until 1971. Now they would they they'd fight. You know there were there were times they were fighting for for obviously Arab supremacy at various times. They would always fight for a little independence, but they were really just a pearl diving little tiny finger into the Persian Gulf, and that's what they did. And in 1971, they became a country. And they struck oil in 1939. They found natural gas in the late 80s. And they've become filthy rich in the past 30 years. And they they basically went from a desert with no buildings 30 years ago to this mega metropolis you see now. It's it's remarkable to have that kind of growth. And so there's a lot of interesting things to observe when you're there. But U.S. Cup rolls. I mean, the World Cup rolls on. Uh, I hated Argentina forever. My final comment here is their fans were legendary at this tournament, Alan. So much so that I watched the Argentina-Australia game in person, and it was the greatest spectacle of fan support I have ever seen in any sport. Argentina's fans interacting with Argentina's players and vice versa. It's like the players and the fans are unified in rooting for Argentinians' national team as one. It's it's hard to explain that, but the players themselves are like rooting for the national team as though they're fans. It's it's a wild experience. It's really, really cool. And I did not see any other country that came anywhere near that level of sort of unity. Uh, so that was pretty remarkable in and of itself. Well, speaking of support, let's talk about our support. Speaking of support, it's been quiet, apparently. Apparently, everybody's watching the World Cup and not uh, not dropping donos. But if you like the content, of course, on this very show, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel for Film Breakdowns. And become a patron on Patreon, where you too can drop us donos and become a donor. Shout out here to B-Red, our producer, who's now kind of off for the off season, but he did come to the big Christmas party. He did. We had it was on good. Saturday. Great to see him and hang out. Got to meet him and his girlfriend. Uh, not meet him, meet his girlfriend, which was great as well to see the other side of B-Red. And then Carly, the commissioner, was in Barcelona, and now I believe she's back. Did a great season of work on the YouTube channel. And then Ben Chase, who some of you may be familiar with, I think just broke the record this season for watching the most college football games. Yeah. And uh, he's a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast. So shout out there to Ben. I know he's catching our podcast and he's out on the road. Uh, but epic, epic stuff from him, uh, for sure. What a journey he has had. Oh, for sure. I've been following him. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's been a long time. Yeah, dude, long what's time up, man? That was incredible. If you can just Google him and the stuff he went and did, it was unbelievable. And just the logistics, actually. You think, no big deal. I could just easily go to all the games I need to go to. Like, what's hard about that if I had the resources? But actually, logistically, making sure you could go to enough games was really difficult. Incredible. And so you can see how he did it. It's pretty interesting stuff. But shout out to you, Ben. And thanks for being a longtime listener and supporter. And then, of course, the GNFP Sammy and GNFP Discord threads continue to remain hot, spitting fire every single day, all kinds of good stuff going on. So if you're not in there yet... Links on social to hop in there. We did have one new donor, a level up here from Bryant Jones. So not new, but leveling up. We love that as well. Let's go. Uh, so appreciate that, Bryant. Great to have you leveling up here. And uh, as we enter into this Christmas season and this holiday season, hopefully, of course, all of you will be in a donor giving mood, not to this podcast, <laughs> but to each other, to your friends and your family. Yes. And getting good gifts donor, for them. Donor to one another. And uh, yes, not, not to us, not to the <laughs> show, but that you're in the mood of, of giving to others and that you will be using this time to obviously... You know, shop, have fun, fulfill people's wishes, dreams, etc. As we on the pod try to fulfill your dreams of there breaking go. down <laughs> Gator football. Yeah, and sitting on the throne, James Ridge, still there. The legend, James Ridge. It should be known if you're on the GNFP Sammy thread, James Ridge is like uh, 
He's like the godfather of Florida football right now. Killing it over there. Okay. Let's uh let's talk about those other legends. Uh former Kings and others, Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Peyton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marshallisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano. Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Emery, and Craig Scarado. Thanks to each of you guys and ladies. Um, all right, let's uh, let's try to wrap up the season a little bit. We've kind of teased this out for a couple weeks that we wanted to take a beat and wait and see how we felt closing out the season. The first season of Billy Napier's regime. So let's get into it. The Gators went. Six and six, admittedly against a very difficult strength of schedule. Played a, a lot of top teams, teams who were playing well in various points of the season. Let me just ask, like, how do we feel about it? Six and six. Thoughts? Bad. I feel bad. That's how I feel about it. Disappointing. You and I, as we're going to talk about, had a very different record than six and six. Yeah. Uh, we thought this was possible. I had mentioned... Uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek and jokingly that JT Raymond would think the floor for this team was like eight wins, uh, when obviously I said the floor was four wins, and we were very close to a four-win floor, very close. So this does not surprise me, six and six, but it's, it's a disappointment, and I think we talked about it all season long. I really feel like this could have been eight and six had this coaching staff been more tactical and less focused on the long-term strategy. And I'm going to spend just 30 seconds defining those two terms. I've gotten some requests. I've done a podcast on this before, Alan, several years ago. We'll revisit this in the off-season. But tactics or tactical focus is short-term. What can I do in this game to win this game? Strategy is long-term. You want to marry both of those. So your strategy, Billy's strategy, is to recruit really well, to get guys that are going to be good culture guys that are close to the University of Florida's campus, to retain them, and then have them fit his system. That's his strategy, right? And from there, he builds out what's happening. Tactically, a more tactical coach would have said, I've got a guy like AR. I've got some of these wonky pieces. I'm going to try to do things that are outside of my strategy, which is to have two receiver sets, you know, play action like this, whatever the case may be, to win football games where a pure strategist just says, I'm going to suffer through whatever happens because I think my strategy will win. And whether I go eight and six or six and six doesn't really matter. Eight and four and six and six. Yeah, sorry, eight and four or six and six doesn't really matter. I'm not winning anything anyway. I just want to be committed to what I think is my winning formula. Uh, So tactics, short-term, strategy, long-term, uh, you want both of those things. Of course, at the end, as we've said, if Billy's strategy does work and by year three, he's in the playoffs or winning a national title, no one is going to care what happened in year one or year two. The goal is to become better and better. Uh, but six and six right now at this moment, disappointing. I think it could have been better. Uh, it was not a fulfilling season on the field for me. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we we did talk about the range of outcomes. Six and six felt like possible, but on the lower end, like we four is obviously even less than that. And that, that is, was available to us, but I didn't think we would finish six and six too many times. Um, I think, you know, you had some really wonky outputs early on from the offense against like Kentucky, 
But generally, the defense was so outside the range of what we expected coming into the year that it created so much more variance. I mean, well, we'll talk about the offense. It, it scored a decent amount of points. They, it played well enough to win most games. Um, yeah, not that I needed him to achieve like maximum like efficiency or max out this roster for this year. I, I would I would like to play with the long term review in year one, but. Yes, it did feel like we left some stuff on the table tactically in game. And you know what? If that goes away, that's fine. But I think it brings in question marks about what what does this staff look like? What does Napier look like? Is he is he tactically adept? Is he willing to sacrifice some of his meta strategy for the moment? And again, that's a sliding scale. You don't want if you do that too much, you start to crumble your foundation. Right. And I love things like, yeah, if you want to kick Brent Cox off the team, do it. Does that hurt your bottom line this year? Yes. So I'm in favor of things like that. I don't want to be soulless in my attempt of tactical purity, but I I want us to win these games, right? And I think it it helps every it helps you as a coach and as a program and as a fan base, everything, if you win some of these key games, right? So was it on the table that we were gonna lose to Vanderbilt? No, I don't I don't think so. Um and you think you would have won maybe one more of these kind of coin flip games that you didn't win. And that would have gotten you to eight and four fairly easily. And yeah, you're really only looking at that Georgia game is the only one's like, man, we're probably going to lose that one. No one saw the Tennessee buzzsaw coming, but even in that game, we're very competitive. So this feels disappointing, right? And as you said, it's good to keep reminding in the long term, it won't matter, but it does create more question marks, a little more noise, a little more doubt, makes the road harder and bumpier for you, for you as a coach when you have a performance like this. Uh, so let me let me tag this a little bit, and you can say briefly why you would say this. Would you consider this a successful season? No, no, this is not a successful season as far as, again, we're, we're looking at this one season Look, right. Not necessarily it's twelve games. Not necessarily is is Billy Napier's regime trending towards success. I think in a lot of ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. Right. But this this was not a successful season as a whole. There are some successful components and moments. Offensive line play, the running game, obviously play design on the running part of the game. Um, a lot of other stuff though was not successful at all. Now, it should be noted for those of you out there saying, "Hey, you've gone this far." and not mention, of course, the strength of schedule. This was an historically hard season yeah. for a first coach at Florida, and it was a really hard season in general. Florida played a lot of really good football teams, and they were close with most of them. But with all of those things still being said, this season, in my mind, was not successful overall. I would not categorize this as a success. I would categorize this as a failure for a individual season. I'm not going to give it a pass. To me, this is a failure. This is below expectations. Yes, Vegas had us at seven games. Yes, we said there were so many coin flip games, Allen. But I think the difference between failure and success is quite obvious. It's Vanderbilt and it's Florida State. Everything else that happened before those games, you can say it's early stuff, it's regime. But if you guys have been listening to this podcast for several years, you know that I put a extra amount of emphasis on the end of the season because good coaches play their best football as the season goes on. I weigh those games more heavily. It's also a reason why I like a larger playoff. I don't think games in September 
mean as much to your team as games in December because good coaches are better at that stage of the season. Uh, And for Florida to just have it right in front of them, to be able to finish out with two wins, to finish at eight and four, to feel way differently and to limp across that finish line went from success to failure, not neutral, not pass to, to failure. You lost to your rival. You lost to Vanderbilt. It was not pretty. There were lots of issues with those football games. Um, more questions than answers. So yeah, for me, this is a failure of a season. I would agree with that. I, it pains me to say that because I do like a lot of what Napier is building and I, I'm still, you know, high on him and we'll get to that in a minute, but, uh, yeah, I I don't think you can categorize anything else. Uh, Otherwise you're just talking about culture and recruiting, which are really important, but we still, those things are in service of playing the games. Right. So you have to build that, but yeah, I just don't think I could give a passing grade to six and six at Florida. And it wasn't the most talented team, but it was talented enough. Uh, you're going to have a quarterback for all his warts who's probably going to be a first-round pick. You have a really good offensive line. You have a, a lot of guys who were ranked fairly highly on the defensive side of the ball. And, yeah, just couldn't put it together fast enough and then really tailed off at the end. And that I think that's where it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Let's talk about Napier himself, all right? So it's hard to for us to see inside everything that he's doing, the culture that he's building. We get glimpses of that. But let me ask you, are you higher or lower on him or, or the same as you are from the beginning of the year? I am lower as I was from the beginning of the year because I came in with expectations. I'd watched some film, obviously, right? But he sort of branded himself as an analytical coach. That's kind of the branding that he carried. And while he was, in many respects, which we talked about, there were some things that, that occurred throughout the year that for someone who brands himself as an analytical coach left us at odds on more than one occasion. Now, with our humanity and our human nature, we're going to make mistakes. Even if you say you're perfectly analytical, you're going to sometimes make a human error emotionally or, or whatever reason you might have. But this went beyond that. I think that's kind of a consensus view on what happened. That's disappointing. And I also really thought that he would have gotten more out of AR when it came to consistency. And the defensive side was just such an unbelievable mess. Hard to imagine, Alan, that we're on this podcast for years talking about Grantham, talking about how it has to get better, it can't get worse, and all it did was get significantly worse and therefore i have to be lower on napier napier brought in tony that didn't work so far napier came with an offensive plan although we had a lot of nice statistics that florida fans love to tout all the time we're six and six we're wildly inconsistent at certain points of the season we almost lost to ucf uh, usf we lost to kentucky being able to score we couldn't score against vanderbilt when it mattered we had these too many moments of inconsistency to where i'm able to say then I'm even neutral. I had higher expectations for this on-field coaching staff. They were not met this season for me. So therefore, I'm going to say I'm lowering his view or what I view of him right now with the on-field coaching. I have questions that have to be answered that only time are going to tell. And I have more questions about the on-field coaching than when the season started. So for me, it's a pretty simple answer to say that I'm lower on Napier than I was to start the year. Yeah, I think I'm going to be similar and say slightly lower 
what you're really looking at him again is the long view is the recruiting the institutional building and that is really only going to come into effect later on so all of the stuff that you would say is his biggest strengths don't really come into play this season was a failure but i i didn't tank on him i still liked most of what i got from him but we've talked about the tactical stuff the ar stuff yeah you know if i'm doing projection am i buying up all the napier stock am i holding or am i selling if i put it in that range i'm probably just holding you know maybe i sell off a little bit of my position but not a lot i'm not getting out um and yeah i don't i still like him a lot i still if i come back around to like if i could go back and push the button again like a year ago do i want florida to hire him i think yes is still the answer to that and i think like that's a good point so i am am sticking specifically right now with the football season that has occurred on the football field when we zoom out talking about other things and we've talked about this all season long a lot of other things are trending in the absolute right direction and that's really important because the three-year test is not just on field performance and you can also adapt and change that if you fall behind in recruiting it's hopeless even if your on-field tactics coaching are perfect you will never win. So the good news is there's a lot of hope for the long term. And I'm with you. If he's a stock, although I'm lower on him right now, I'm still holding. I am not to the point where I'm saying I'm so low, I'm really worried. I'm just a little disappointed. I still think there's those future expectations and future value that stocks are built upon. That future cash flow, if you will, is still there. It can still be mined out of this Billy Napier experiment. But I am left with more questions than answers. So I'm becoming you know, a little bit more sensitive to what might be happening in the program. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we went, you know, 10 and two this season, then maybe I'm just like sky high. This is awesome. Right. I'd never expected this. I'm like, I'm all in, I'm leveraging stuff. I'm putting all my money into this eight and four. I'm feeling good. Six and six, the way it went down. I'm like, ah, you know, a lot of good foundational pieces still being built here. A lot of good storylines. Coaches can tell cleaning house, rebuilding bad talent under Mullen. Those are all good narratives. They're comfortable. They feel good. But I am more cautious. cautious I, am, is a great I, am, I am questioning some of those narratives, even if they sound good, because we need to see proof on the football field. So if you could go back and push the button, would you push it? Oh, for sure. And I think that's the most important thing. Right. So as an investor, right, what I deal with day to day is, is trying to make sure that people know that investing is long term. When you're in the midst of a two or three year cycle in a 15 or 20 year time capsule, if you will, in investing, you cannot pull the plug two or three years in if the strategy is good. In this case, we won't know. It's why it's a three-year test. I don't really know if this means that year two or three are going to be poor. It may mean nothing, like we've talked about. We have to let this play out, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Okay. All right, let's talk about a few other guys on the staff. We'll start with Patrick Tony as the most high-profile person here. He's a defensive coordinator opposite a guy who's your head coach who's an offensive coordinator, ostensibly the most important guy on the staff. And to say he wildly underperformed, at least on the just results and the numbers, is, I think, an understatement. Now, again, you can talk about how difficult his job was or all these other things. You could bake in some things. But if you just want to stack them up, I mean, it's hard to say that you, you'd be happy with those results if you're anybody. Um, we, we've, we've talked about this a little bit. I don't know if I quite want to ask you if you want to fire him, but you can say that if you want. But 
or you can put yourself on a DEFCON scale or what, what would you like to say here about Tony? I mean, are, are you hitting the exit button on him? So this is where you have to have behind the scenes information that right. I do not have. And I will, I will answer this two ways. One from the outside, not being on the inside, not knowing what my conversations are like with Tony. If I ask questions, why do we do this? Why did we do that? Where did we struggle? Why are we not able to handle these things? Why are we playing cover three the way we play cover three? Whatever the case may be, if there are not satisfactory answers to those questions, then I would fire Tony. That's simple. If there are satisfactory answers and he's able to give me a good set of storylines that is believable and plausible and makes sense and I can I can gain a thing, okay, that, that makes sense. I understand why that happened. Then that's going to give me more leeway to to keep him. But I think at this point in time, let's revisit Tony. Tony's in his early 30s, 31, 32, right? He clearly has never coached at a level even remotely near this level. To me, it's very clear this was a guy who was young, who was, I think, smart. I think Napier thinks he's a guy with a bright future and he's learned a lot, but he was way above his weight class in year one. And he was exposed on multiple occasions. The good news about being in your early thirties is he's either going to learn so much from this, right? This is Peyton Manning in his rookie year in the NFL. And then in year two and year three, boom, he's Peyton Manning, right? That you take your lumps and you learn and then you get better. And so I think there is a great story where if Napier is telling his friends, hey, look, don't worry about Tony. Year two will tell whether he's good or not. And I think that is true. That's where I think you can make the case to say, yeah, let's say that he just got knocked out this season. It was a bad season for him. If he is truly who Napier thinks he is, you should see a ginormous jump in year two when it comes to production, consistency, level of play. Even if Florida is not going to be a top 10 defense due to personnel, you'd have to see a humongous jump up. If you get four or five games into next season, it is not different. You got to fire him right then. You just cannot give anyone that much time. You have a three-year test. You're halfway through your journey. So I think Tony is, is a guy that's going to be on a really hot seat for obvious reasons. But again, the positive side, he's young. He took a lot of lumps. Those guys can learn. Liken him to an NFL rookie who has a bright future, if you want to believe Napier's. Line of the story, if you think, hey, the guy does not have a bright future, he's sort of like a diamond in the rough that didn't come from anywhere, wasn't trained by anyone, came through a small conference in the Sun Belt, and now is here, then you're probably pretty hopeless thinking this guy's not going to figure it out. But I think those are the two stories that are going to be put out there. No one knows the right answer. But if I was coaching Allen, if I'm inside the system, I would be very confident as to whether I could fire or keep Tony based upon working with him, for me personally. I think Napier feels the same way, and he's obviously very confident in Tony. So he, therefore, must think Tony has the right stuff based upon what he's saying, what he's doing, why there were failures. For Napier, who, let's face it, Napier says this a lot. Every coach says this. Nobody wants to win more than Napier and the staff does. I believe that. I think that's true. So Napier still thinks, out of all the guys he could potentially go look for, that Tony is the best guy. Well, Mullen thought that about Grantham. Right. And that un unhitched him, you know, from the fans for a while. So we're going to see what Napier's made of next season. Year one, everyone sort of gives you the hey, year one. We can create lots of good narratives. But year two, stuff will really reveal itself. So I don't think anybody can answer that question definitively from the outside. But in year two, we can. In year two, we'll know. And that's why we talk a lot about saying, even I, who I think tends to have the quicker trigger on coaches, would not pull the plug on Tony just yet if Tony were able to convince me why things were good. And I just have no way of knowing. Right. That. So I, I, I agree with that. I can't know it. 
that it's it's impossible for us to know all of the ins and outs of what they were trying to do and some of the hurdles that they had. Uh, certainly, here's here's the problem if you're Billy Napier. If there's a fan vote, and fans are fickle and fans are quick tempered, he is fired immediately. Like you're going to get like a 98% fire him. And there's good reason for that. Right. There's good reason for that. So, and again, the often the fans are right. They're not always right. Uh, you and I both watched a show, Welcome to Wrexham. And they're like 10 games in the season. The fans are like, you have to fire this coach. He's terrible. They're not improving. And if you're looking at a trajectory line, you're like, well, they're, they're maybe not wrong. But it's too early, right? You have to let it play out a little bit. With Patrick Tony, you are hiring him for his upside. You you know that this is not the best season he's going to coordinate a defense, right? So whatever that level is, you would expect it to be appreciably higher in year two and year three. Now, does it accelerate? Now, it has to accelerate. Does it? If it doesn't, like you said, you have to pull the plug on that because the experiment is now turned sour. And... That's that's pretty cutthroat, and I will see if Napier has the guts to do something like that. Now, if you have a, po- a postseason X interview with with Patrick Tony, and he doesn't know why they're having problems, I think you have to look at him and say, "You have a few options here, Patrick. You can stay on the staff, but I'm bringing somebody else in." Now, you already have a co DC with Sean. Spencer, so that's a little bit problematic. I don't know if that's even a possibility financially, but you can't let him just keep going. Right now, if he can tell you why and what he's going to do to fix it and you believe it and you're like, yeah, that's what I want to do too, then ride with it. But the stuff we put on tape and the just the raw results of it make you have to ask those hard questions of him. Yeah, I love that you brought up Wrexham. If 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 you guys have not seen this show or heard of it, welcome to Wrexham. Ryan Reynolds uh, is is primarily in there with um, Rob McElhaney. With Rob McElhaney, thank you from Always Sunny fame. Show's amazing. It gives you an inside scoop on on what it's like to really own a franchise. It's it's based on you know football, soccer in this case, but it's excellent because it's really the best example I think to date of what they really face. But the the point Alan's making is really good. The coach they hired, he was a a very established, solid, productive coach. Tony is not that. Right. Tony, as you said, is an upside coach. So they made the decision to stick with him because he was a proven coach who also had a plan. And his plan was, I need these kind of players. I need these two guys. And ultimately, I won't spoil anything. They had to make that decision. Do we take these two guys and trust the coach or not? So for Napier, it's the same thing. If he puts his stamp of approval onto Tony... That stamp bounces back to him if Tony fails, right? And I think there are smart fans and there are foolish fans. Foolish fans will look at an AD or a coach hiring someone who has promise, and I'm going to go to Will Muschamp. Hiring Will Muschamp was a very good idea. It was a great idea. It didn't work. It was still a good idea. He could have been Kirby Smart. Yeah. You only know by letting him try. A foolish fan looks at that and thinks, we should fire the AD because they hired Will Muschamp and they're idiots. Okay, that is idiotic in and of itself. That's a foolish take. In this case, if you're Napier, it wasn't foolish to hire Tony, but it was risky. Mm -hmm. And now if you keep him for a second year, you have added more risk to your brand. 
And if that goes longer into year two and things are not well, then your brand itself becomes very tarnished. It begins to come down this with This is the it. Grantham Mullen Court. And it's exactly what happened again. So I love the story with Rexham. It's a really nice example of kind of what they were wading through because their brands as owners were starting to be on the line if they stuck out for this coach. And it gives you a real-world example of how these things work, and there's not a simple answer, but that is exactly where Florida is. And to your point, Alan, in the case of Wrexham, the fans were wildly wrong. Uh, in the case of the Gators, the fans could be right. And again, if we fired Tony tomorrow, to me, you really could not go into a court of law and say that was a bad decision. You might say it's a bit early, but given the returns that have occurred over this year in productivity and performance— the the hammer is coming down on fire and not keep, but Napier trusts him, thinks it's going to get better, and here's the upside. If Napier's right, and Tony does turn a significant mm-hmm. corner next year, then Napier's brand skyrockets because now the trust you have in your captain goes up more because something that looked bad became good, and that grows the trust level. So there is a reward for Napier to do this, but... It is a risk. He's asking for trust. He's asking for patience, and we'd be smart to give it to him because he's a new guy. Yeah, and give he, it to him. I think that's only smart if you're going to hire somebody and pay them that much money. Uh, but yeah, the risk transfers to him, like we said. And uh, yeah, I'm not out on Patrick Tony by any means, but again, he's now in the question mark era of like you got to prove it to me. There's no longer a benefit of the doubt. Now you have to show me that you're good. You aren't, if we have a wonky year from an established coach, it's like, yeah, there must be some weird stuff going on. I'm, I'll assume I'll get it fixed. I have no priors with Patrick Tony. He's going to get it fixed. So you have to prove it to me, Patrick Tony. And I am hopeful that you will. All right. Um, we're going to talk about individual players a lot, but let, the headline, of course, is Anthony Richardson turning pro. We've talked about him some with, you know, whether we thought that was a good idea or not good idea. Um, he did make the decision to turn pro. Um, I'm assuming the feedback he's getting is going to be probably a top 90 pick, probably a top 40 pick, probably a top 20 pick, or at least that's likely. Um, I think we both said there's amazing upside for him, but the risk is really high. Like what he's going to have to do in the pros to compete and, succeed it's a steep hill for him for him um so it's a totally understandable decision if you're going to be a first round pick i I would almost always say to go in this case it it holds a lot of risk for him a lot of reward for him as well but a lot of risk and we said openly when we talked about this alan i said openly you agreed he needed to stay yeah that's the consensus The NFL scouts would agree he needs to stay. That's the consensus if you read on it. Yet we also said, thanks to the Josh Allen effect, and that's really what this is, it's not the Lamar Jackson effect, it's the Josh Allen effect because AR has that kind of arm. Teams are going to reach for this guy. This is like an NBA team taking a 19-year-old that they know is a boomer bust guy, and they fully expect there to be a really good chance he busts, but if they hit, he's a top three NFL quarterback. Right. Because why Yeah. Why do you draft him with those statistics and the – that player profile is because if he hits, he's not just good. There's the ceiling of him. And this might sound wildly uh, just too high of a praise. He could literally be the best player in the NFL. I don't think that's the likely outcome, but that is a potential outcome 
Whereas most quarterbacks you're drafting, you know, Kenny Pickett, you're not like, hey, it could be a good starter. I don't think he's going to be the best player in the NFL. Richardson could be that. What is his percentage and his likelihood of getting there? I don't know. I don't think that's super high. There's a lot more outcomes where he's like very good or competent. There's also a ton of outcomes where he is a giant bust on the level of like Ryan Leaf mega bust kind of person. I don't think he'll be taken that high to be in that kind of conversation. But in terms of a first round pick who never sees the field, I think he he has that potential too. He does. And of course, what's funny is if you've been listening to this podcast for two or three years, then you've been rewarded with our talk of AR all from the beginning, which we said from the start. What did we say? His ceiling was the moon. It was unlimited. Mm -hmm. And his floor was unknown. And there's going to be a lot of variance with him. That was exactly how we described him at the start. That's exactly where we are now with him. He's not consistent. And to be professional in any sport, Alan, the number one the number one determination and determiner of playing time is consistency. That's what it means to be a pro. He is nowhere near that right now. We're going to see if he can get there. If, you, if you've uh, not heard that discussion already, you can go back maybe three or four episodes and you'll hear us talk in depth about the NFL practice scheduling, why we thought that was going to hurt him, why we thought he was better off coming back, why it was not easy to develop in the NFL versus a college season, and why even though he's going to get some guaranteed money with the NIL now providing money for him, spending a year in college, I think would have allowed him to improve his skills to a much greater degree. Certainly. Now, the side narrative here, Alan, yeah. this is a good one. There's a real side narrative here, is that Billy Napier could potentially have just misused AR entirely. And NFL teams are going to see his skill set and see that he's inaccurate, and they're going to be able to find ways to utilize him in a way that is better. That's a possibility. That's always possible in the NFL. You can read countless stories of NFL Hall of Fame players that were in the wrong systems and were not performing well. I don't know that to be true. I'm just telling you that NFL teams are going to convince themselves of this because of his unbelievable gifts as an athlete. And so a lot of Florida fans, we talked about this during the year, have taken the narrative that he's a terrible quarterback. We cannot run plays with him. He's not smart. He can't run the offense. We're super limited. Uh, and, you know, the reality is he has a chance, and let this settle in, Alan. He has a chance to become the highest drafted Florida quarterback of all time. Let that settle in, of all time. And the majority of our fan base would have rather had anyone else play but this guy. And we kept saying all along, you got to take the good with the bad. The guy's ceiling's incredible. If I'm a coach, all you're doing is trying to mine the value out of this guy because his ceiling is unbelievable. This guy's ceiling is so good, Alan, that he had a season, I think if you and I both had to predict this preseason, that was worse than what I would have expected from his floor-level performance. And he is still, in most people's boards, a top-four quarterback taken, a middle-first-round pick, he may not get there. The combine's going to matter. His interviews are going to matter. A lot of that stuff's going to matter for him because he's a wild card, right? But as of right now, that's still kind of where he's buzzing. And just let that settle in. He could be the highest drafted quarterback in the history of this school's program. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's what kind of guy he is. He's a total enigma. Yes. I love this conversation because it wraps in so much of what we like to talk about. So, we often use the phrase betting on yourself. If you come back, well, if you're betting, there's also a chance you're going to lose. So here's the, here's the issue with AR. Most guys, if you're betting on yourself, you, you feel like you're, you're kind of stable on your floor. This might be a hedge, and I don't think he thinks this, but if I was handler, his handlers, I would be thinking about this too. 
Now, his greatest potential is coming back being better. But if he comes out next year, whether at Florida or another school, especially another school, and puts on out like a similar tape profile with similar statistics, he goes from a first-round pick to like a fourth or fifth-round pick because he's now shown more opportunities that he can't do it. So from that perspective, maybe this is the best time for him to come out because he's actually maximizing his monetary if he's actually not that good. So it's maybe a middle ground here. His highest upside, I think, is coming back for a year. There's there's also downside, not just injury-wise. That's how I think most people think about it. But his play could really lead to that. And so he's a fascinating case. It's going to be really interesting. I think you're going to hear a ton about him if you're into NFL draft circles like I am. I love the NFL draft. He's going to be the most polarizing prospect by far. And he's the guy that I think if your team gets him, you're super excited about it because you understand he's boom bust. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing about the NFL draft is when you get a guy like Orion Leaf who builds a generational talent who flops. Yeah. With AR, if you're an astute fan, you take the guy and you think, hey, we either hit a grand slam or he's out. In a way, it's actually convenient. It's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. You know what you're getting. It's a home run or it's 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 banished to the bench. Uh, so it's that kind of gamble. But again, for Florida, I think you should all rest assured that if Billy Napier was on this podcast right now and we said, hey, if AR comes back next year, are you happy with that or would you rather have him go pro? He would unequivocally say, I would much rather have AR be yes. playing at Florida next year. So a lot of you, I think, have convinced yourself that's not true. He's happy. More offense can be run. We can do more stuff. That's not, I don't think, what Napier would say even for a second. Because, again, if you're a coach, this dude is a generational athlete. It is your job to do all that you can to unlock what he has. And to your point, Alan, if two years go by and now your 26 starts in and not 13, 13 starts is all this man's made. 13 football games. Mm-hmm. If you're 26 in and you're the same guy you were at 13, your draft stock diminishes. So tactically, we've talked about this, tactically versus strategy, tactically you can maximize your value right now. But that's short-term thinking for AR, and that's my fear. It's very short-term thinking in the NFL. It's hyper-competitive. If he's struggling with accuracy and things like that now, the NFL might just break him. We're going to find out. Maybe he proves us all wrong. It's going to be a grand experiment and well, something definitely worth watching. I don't think he's even proved us wrong. I think we're just, there's just a lot of like downside risk that you're taking on when you're drafting him, and it's how much draft capital. Everyone would draft him. It's just at what risk level. Well, I mean, right? prove us all wrong if, he, if he's able to come in and play quickly. I think oh, it's not a surprise yeah. if he develops for a couple of years. But like, let's say next year, midseason, he's on a team where someone gets injured and he has to come in and he's all of a sudden very competent. Then it would be like, I'd great. Be shocked. Totally, yeah, totally wrong. You should have went, right? I think that's what we're saying. I mm-hmm. think in, in every world that exists, it's not an injury-based world or that he's totally never going to reach his ceiling. I think the probability was best for his best possible NFL career to be reached by staying one more year mm-hmm. in college. I think the NFL would have agreed with that. But again, if you're getting draft evals and the NFL is telling you, look, I think you'll do better to stay one year in college, I'm also still going to draft you in the first round. That becomes a very complicated decision. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I don't fault him for going at all. Uh, maybe it's maybe even what I would do. Who knows? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Okay, we made some predictions at the beginning there like we always do. Let's go ahead and talk about them. See how we did. The first one is... <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. We predicted the Gators both. We both predicted the Gators would go nine and three. Um, that was a little high. I think we, as soon as we hit stop on the record, like, ah, it's maybe a little high, but eight and four, if I go back to last year with just the same information, I think eight and four is probably the right pick with the expectations we had. Now looking back on, it, obviously I would like to revise that down knowing what I know now, but nine and three was high, but not not so high. I mean, it missed the mark obviously because they went at six and six. But that that was so far low in the cone of expectations for me that I, I don't feel bad about picking nine and three. No, it was well within the realm. And I think you know after I, during the show I'd said I really wanted to be at eight wins. Mm-hmm. Eight and four was what I wanted to. I'd predetermined I was going to get at eight and four, and I got caught up in the moment. And I got to nine and three, which felt bad. Uh, obviously, but also felt realistic and possible. Right, when you're, well, right? then you're, you have a number eight and four, and then you actually look at the schedule and that could go, actually, yeah. I think we're going to go seven right. and six or we're going to go nine and three. And that's what we were saying all along. And so that's why it's like, I think the six and six number was the number where it was like, mm, that can't happen, but that's definitely not good. Seven and six, eight and four, nine and three, a couple of ball bounces here and there, depending on how it looked, it could have been fine. But yeah, you, you and I both wound up taking a little more upside in large part because of who Florida was playing. We were absolutely right about Kentucky a team that was slated to finish second in the SEC East that was not going to be right. good. We were in large part right about Tennessee. They exceeded it. The only reason I picked Florida to beat Tennessee is I was banking on Florida having good man-to-man corners and playing man defense, which was, in fact, the right way to play them, not what Florida did. So right. we were operating with information that wasn't real. Uh, but I think in the long run, we generally hit the teams Florida were playing in the right level. And Florida 
was so often their own worst enemy, and that's what made this season frustrating. So at least we both went down. Yeah, if together. you went, if you beat Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Florida State, you're right there at nine three. You're there. You're literally there. And those games were all there for you to take. And you can even drop one more and be eight and four, which would be fine, right where we expected. Fine for sure. Okay, breakout players. You picked Montreal Johnson. I picked Ricky Pearsall. Um, I nailed think, nailed those two. Yes, sure. I think they both performed really well. Ricky was our best receiver. I mean, his production, if you just look at his numbers or not, it's not in a breakout player kind of production. But, I mean, he had an excellent year. Yeah, breakout for this team, though. Well, I, I think that You know, counts. if I'm going to actually – okay, so now that's who we predicted. Yeah. Who is the breakout player from this year? Well, I mean, I – I think that it's 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 ETN. Yes, I think it's the breakout player yeah. because it's, it's it's upside, and obviously Montrell was a guy who it was most great. Florida fans had never heard of. He comes in as a transfer, he wins the starting job, and people are like I don't know about this guy. He's from Louisiana, and he all he did was lead the team in, in rushing. He was very solid, but he does not have the next level that obviously Trevor ETN has. So I think that for me, and he's he the actual is breakout the, player. Is the actual breakout yeah, but player. I think Montrell and Ricky were both good picks, and they. Oh yeah, they, those guys both hit. They both hit for sure. Those are those are household names now for Florida this season, and they earned it. All right, on the defense, we underperformed just like they did. I picked Princely. You picked Jaden Hill. Princely didn't have a bad year, but he was not the kind of productive player I was hoping he would be. I mean, he really got outperformed by Antoine Ryan and Pyler at the end of the year. Um, and Jaden Hill, you know, was way more hurt than I think people knew. Uh, had a couple nice moments, but then still did not look like the same guy coming back from injury. Yeah, and what's interesting, as I'll ask you this question now, is then who would be your breakout player on defense? I guess you'd have to say Desmond Watson. I think so. Yeah, big Des Or or Ryland Powell. The way he yeah. finished the season, as you mentioned, I mean, he was he was a, 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 a wrecking crew. But I think that, I think that big Des became a weapon for Florida and he was consistent. Yeah. Every single game he was consistent and you could not say that about a lot of the other defenders on Florida's team. In terms of profile, obviously much more of the populace knows who he is just because he's a freak of nature size wise and yes. Ryan Powler's, you know, largely anonymous. Yeah. But the fact that you had to stop and think about that for like five or six seconds tells you how woeful this defense <laughs> was anybody good is. enough. And you know, you could have said maybe Devin Moore would have been injured, missed the second right. half of the season. So there, there's there's not a candidate to look at the, here. And defense. the guy we grew in appreciation of was Ventral Miller, right? So of course we knew he was important. I don't think it changed too much what we thought about no, him we like, really as a player, but yeah. I think we all he he was endearing himself to Florida fans all year long because we need him so desperately. All right. Anyone who could be an all, all American, we said Ricky, Dexter, Torrance, Osiris, Torrance, Jason Marshall, Richardson, and Cox. We actually had one hit here. It's in the news segment, but Osiris Torrance, AP All-American, getting his brick. And that was the one who we said was the most likely, likely one to yep. get it. So that was an obvious one, of course. And um, Dexter, who it's going to be maybe a first-round pick, but just that's hard to break through profile-wise. Hard to break through, especially because you know I, I fielded more questions about him on the film review than anyone that wasn't named AR. And, and the film review, I think, did a nice job dispelling people's notions. If you didn't watch film, you somehow accepted Gator Nation's narrative that Dexter wasn't playing well. And if you watched film, he got double teamed on almost every snap. Mm -hmm. And if you watch football and your defensive tackle is double teamed every snap, he's not going to do anything. All he can do is hold his gap, which is which is good. You just you're not going to be a stats guy if they choose to take you out of the football game. Uh, and so I think Dexter is going to be a guy that if he gets to go one on one, which the few times he did this season, he was a force. Uh, he's a guy that I think NFL teams are going to like for a, a lot of reasons. And we just don't really know what he's capable of because we haven't been able to to pair him with another 
defensive tackle or really ideally three of your four guys that are troublesome to where they cannot just double the same guy every snap. And that was partly the, how we formulated our defensive line too that allowed him to be a double team so frequently. Correct. And that was another frustrating point we had. And one reason why I think we did better with, you know, four down linemen is that helped to alleviate some of that problem. But obviously some laughable ones on here are Cox who got dismissed from the football team. And then AR, who is not laughable, we said this was high or low. We had the chance for it. Mm-hmm. and uh, But really the guy that we thought was going to hit, hit. And that was Torrance. That's great for him. And he did. And again, him. good good for him. Like, he lived up to the billing. He was as good as advertised. Yeah. And that's what you want. And that's another Billy Napier player who came in and was picked by Napier and was a, a top producer. And that's a major silver lining of this failure of a season again, is that Billy's guys were the most productive guys. And so he does know the guys that will succeed in his system, and that's a very important skill. All right, let's do a few of our over-unders here. Why don't you walk us through that? All right, we'll start with a very fun one, points per game on offense. Uh, The previous year was 27.4. We had set the over-under at 32.5. Both you and I took the under on that, and we were correct. We finished at just a shade under 30 points per game. That was good for 46th in the country. Yeah, looking back, I don't know how I feel about this, right? Um, we were right to be skeptical, but looking back, we should have been over it. Like with the kind of personnel we had and like what we could have done, just underperformed in several games significantly. Um, but yeah, we were obviously close. It was a close under, which is what we thought. Yeah, and that's... I think the offense, like we talked about, if you're just looking at some stats, 46 versus the competition we faced is fine for a first-year coach, mm-hmm. but it could have it could have been better, could have been worse, you know, kind of is what it is. But we were both correct that we did not think we were going to hit a really high number of 32.5, which would put you in the top 20, basically. All right, passing yards last year by one player, uh, 2,734 was the number. And this year we set that line at 3,100. And this goes to show you, I think, how disappointing our passing game was mm-hmm. all year long. Uh, you and I both went over. So we thought, hey, Napier's offense, vertical passing system, we're going to be able to run the ball well, which we were able yes. to do. And we churned out a paltry 2,549 yards, despite the fact that AR took the overwhelming majority of snaps and did not come anywhere close to that number. Yeah, it was it was disappointing. Yeah, you, you think if you're hitting on some of those, you're going to have you know, you're going to have an offense that is up to like 33, 34 points a game because we ran the ball incredibly effectively at times. And we just couldn't make it happen for a lot of reasons that we've talked about, but that's why it feels like underperforming there. Yeah. Underperforming indeed. All right. Touchdown passes. Uh, Last year was 19. We set the over under at 22 for this season. I like an idiot took the over you, like a savant, took the under. We wound up with 17 touchdown passes. Yeah. I mean, that that's in line with that previous statistic. Yeah, which is woeful. Again, last year was 19. Last year was a train wreck. A train wreck of a year. Emory Jones, AR, you know, not scoring at all times. And we were under that by Well, this just shows, this too, season. our red zone. This is another way of looking at your red zone production here. I mean, it's at least a slice of it. That we were really underperforming the red zone. And oh, significantly. Yeah. Yeah. As we talked about, that really hurt us. We could not throw in a short field. All right. INTs last year, we had 13, which was absurd, obviously. And this year, we set the over under at a very low 6.5. We talked about it when it occurred. You and I both took the over automatically. I think we had a discussion what if it was seven? What if it were eight? 
And I think if I recall from the podcast, nine was the number we had actually said that's the push line. And that's what it wound up being was nine interceptions. Yeah. And which isn't a terrible number, but it's not a good number either. No, kind of what we thought might happen though. Uh, All right. Did we have a thousand yard rusher was the question. So the previous year we had 759 Emery led the team and then Pierce. I'm going to let's let this settle in. Pierce had 574 rushing yards at Florida. <laughs> a fourth round draft pick. I mean, Dimmel just stole money out of that guy's pocket, basically, but he's having a great season there at a terrible Houston team. All right, so Louisiana had two guys over 800 yards rushing, and Florida almost did that this season. Almost did it. We set the over under at 850. You and I both went under, and Montreal finished with 827. So very close to that number with ETN at 705 and AR at 654. So a ton of rushing right. production. And if you wanted to give some more of those carries to one of those guys, right, they're going to hit it. Also, you're probably looking back at all of the Naquan Wright carries in the first five games. And if you give those to those two guys, then they Montreal definitely they're hits both. It. Oh, yeah. Montreal's at 1,000 and ETN's probably at 900 yeah. or something like that. Absolutely. And so we were right to be technically right but i think that they had success and that i think that's really encouraging yeah so so far you've only missed one mm. uh, so you're yeah you're on fire which was the the passing yards right 750 yard receiver would we have one copeland was at 642 the year before louisiana here's the troubling thing we talked about this they had two receivers that were below 500 yards we set the over under at 650 i went over which Just is along with your largely pass, yeah. inexplicable, but I felt like vertical well, it, passing game, great running game, stuff. it all made sense. If you can run the ball really well, you should be able to hit vertical passes, even though Louisiana couldn't do it. I believed in it. You went under very wisely, and Ricky hit 596. So close. I mean, you weren't that far off. No, it was close. It wasn't that robust a number. No, it was not, but to not hit 650, of course, frustrating being the Florida Gators here in the state of Florida. A lot of passing talent. Our defensive ranking at the end of the season this being is where top we went way 30. Off. Very ambitious. Being top 30, uh, we gave the stats of Florida's defense in previous seasons. In 2021, they were 44th in points per game. That sounds amazing. The We were terrible versus the run. Top 25-ish versus the pass. That's really important. Versus the pass. Top 25-ish. And then 2020, we were 80th and you know so on and so forth. 2018 was the last time we had a, a, a top 25, which you would consider ish defense. We set the over under at 30. You and I both said we'd be inside that number in the top 30. And that couldn't have been more wrong as Florida finishes around ranked 100 or so for almost every category, sometimes worse, sometimes slightly better. But our points per play and points per game um, are twice as bad as they were previously. So again, 44th in points per game last year basically a hundredth in points per game this year. So as bad as this defense was last year, the defense this year was twice as bad. And that is why the 98 plus percent of the fan base that wants to fire Tony has a good reason to want to do so. Right. So this is where things would just go crazy, right? Even if the, we are underperforming on those passing numbers, it's like, okay, that feels a little off. If the defense is even anywhere close to that 30 number, Florida wins several more games. I That's think. the nine games. And right. this, and I'm glad you said it, this is the moment at the podcast where you can say, if the defense performed anywhere near the expectations you and I had preseason, this is a nine-win football team. Right, and and maybe 30 was getting inside that number was too much, right? Um, but if we had set it under over under 50, we would have definitely been like, well, easy. Definitely yeah, because we were we were inside 50 a lot with last year's terrible defense. There were several stats where we were top 50. 
So, yeah, that just makes me sad. All right, why don't you do the next one? This one's kind of funny. All right, next one, sacks by one player. Last year, we had eight by Cox. So we set it at nine and a half and figured, you know what? Tony's aggressive, a lot of uh, simulated pressures, a lot of creepers. They're going to use Cox in that way, kind of get him free. Cox had two sacks on the season. Mm-hmm. He was disrupted, but teams kind of went away from him. He's also, you know, doing his own thing sometimes. Bernie had four. Bernie led the team with four sacks, four sacks, and you and I both took the over on nine and a half, which we knew was high and aggressive. So you're looking at Cox, and can he improve in the system by, like, two sacks? I think that was reasonable. Reasonable. Um, gosh, just la- it's laughable now to, to say that, we're going to have a double-digit sack guy from this defense because they were obviously nowhere close. So good job for Bernie for getting four, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for Bernie, that's nice for a linebacker. It's good production. But Florida, again, woefully underperforming on the defensive side of the football. Okay, MVP. MVP? Yeah. yeah, MVP. I had Dexter. Well, we both said Richardson is the yeah, MVP. Yeah, we did. We did. I was, going to say, I was going to say that last, but I liked you about that. We both said Richardson had to be the MVP if the season was going to be good. Turns out he was not the MVP mm. of this team, unfortunately. He was still the most important player. He's the yeah. MIP, but not the most valuable player if you look at how the team actually had success for the most part. I put Dexter, which was not true, but he was fine. But mm-hmm. you hilariously put Naquan Wright right. as your MVP Naquan Wright. if it wasn't AR. And that's pretty entertaining. Well, so I think there's <laughs> this this weird thing that there's this unknowable thing of how does he run behind his own blocking system? I don't know how I could have had that information, right? No one did. Uh, this coaching staff didn't. He apparently was terrible at it. But they did start him at the beginning of the year, right? So if he has the kind of success that Montreal Johnson has, and they decide to throw to him out of the backfield, that was part of my baked into that was he could have a monster year in both categories. Now he had a terrible year. It derailed his entire college experience. Like it could not be the more opposite kind of experience, but let's say he had some of the skill sets of Montreal Johnson and we decided to throw the running backs. I mean, that, that's what I was thinking. It's it just crazy. Okay. So who was the actual MVP of the season? Do we even have one? I think I'm going to give this collectively to the offensive line. Yeah. If you try to imagine this football team as it was, and you say, let's take away one component. If you take away the offensive line, this team is an unmitigated disaster. It doesn't matter how good your running backs are if you don't have a good offensive line. Like If we had Kyle Trask's offensive line and we had Billy Napier with these running backs, it would be terrible. There's nothing we could have done with them. So that, to me, was what carried this team to 6-6. and I mean, we had some unbelievable rushing performances. We finished top five in yeah. rushing versus a really hard schedule in the SEC with a team that has not been known for having a good running identity in year one under this football coach. So that, that's a remarkable achievement. And I think for me, that's not an individual player that kind of maybe seems a little weak, but there really wasn't one guy that you look back and say, that's the guy. Because if you say Montrell, you can make an argument ETN's better. Better. And then if you say ETN, you can make the argument, well, Montreal's still pretty close. Like if you lose ETN, you're still getting good production. And along the O-line, you can't just say one guy because Florida was relatively successful moving guys in and out. But that unit as a whole was so largely consistent. They had some games where they got handled, but largely consistent. 
and they seemed to drive the entire football team, including AR. When AR couldn't get anything done, we could still run the ball most of the time. Um, so the time we couldn't was Vanderbilt, and look how much that bit us, right? And so it's like if they're not performing, you generally lose. That kind of felt like it for me. You're right. That I hadn't thought about that way. I was about to say there is no MVP because, but totally true. And I guess you could, if you wanted to pick like an emblematic player that you would pick Rashad or not Rashad Torrance, you would pick Osiris Torrance. But yes, the offensive line as a group is the MVP of the season. I think that tells the story of the year for sure. All right. Players in portal time. This is going to be, this is going to be a good time. A lot of stuff going on. What we want to do here for you is have Alan, our director of player personnel here at the podcast, play a little game that we're going to call no big deal. Who knows? Or ouch, that hurts. Those are your three choices. No big deal. Who knows? Or ouch, that hurts. As to their leaving, we will also discuss guys that Florida's potentially targeting in the room mill just at the end. But for now, we're going to start with announcements that have already been made. And we'll start first with Trent Whittemore. No big deal. Who knows? Or ouch, that hurts. I guess I have to say at this point, who knows because we we have no receivers on the roster hopefully there's some coming in but i don't know how good those guys are going to be but I'll, I'll put that in the who knows category this is a very weird one i like that all right how about uh kamar wilcoxon uh no big deal yeah no big deal i think he'd been here long enough hadn't cracked the field or rotation how about josh braun this one feels like it hurts a little bit um he's a guy who had already played snaps as a freshman in the sec right and those guys are not easy to find. He immediately went to Arkansas and it's weird. I feel like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the story is, but it feels like he's the guy you would want to have on your team. I put that in, in hurts as well. Obviously the staff kind of felt comfortable with moving him out of the rotation uh, and perhaps he doesn't zone block. Well, I don't really know what the deal is, but obviously on paper, he was our most talented offensive lineman and uh, didn't wind up panning out. But again, to your point, He's a guy that you'd want to have on the roster, especially with that kind of experience. So I think that one does hurt. All right, tight end Nick Elsness. I'm going to have to say no big deal. I mean, I don't think the staff was going to get anything from him. Which is a tragedy because yeah. this is we've, we've sort of become like the opposite of tight end you, whatever you want to call that. Like no tight end you. Like, in, I mean, it's, it's rough for an offense that demands tight ends. We need tight ends in the worst and possible way. And I guess way. from what they're looking for from a tight end, he doesn't fit that. No, problem. he doesn't. And that's what I'm saying. So that's the sad part, right? Is like, that's a huge position of need for us. And this guy doesn't help us. It just is not ideal that we don't have those guys and he's not going to help. So carry on. All right. Avery Helm. I'm going to say who, who knows? I, I feel like he could be a productive guy. The, the depth of who we're bringing in, who we're retaining probably means that we don't miss him all that much, but, um, not that great a player, but a guy who still has some upside for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no big deal. And his dad had sent me some good Twitter stuff throughout the year about his stats, which were in fact they finished best on the team as a corner in coverage. I think the problem with Helm, as far as Florida's secondary is concerned, is that Florida's just continuing to recruit the highest level players at those positions. Mm -hmm. And with corner, it's a spot you can play early. You just can. And so with Helm, he's limited. He does not have the ceiling these guys have. He's not gonna play in the NFL, most likely realistically and I think that puts him in a spot where on Florida's team you're just saying I've got six guys that are more athletic than him that can do more than him he's not himself necessarily offering an upside value 
at a championship level. But he's a guy who would probably go and play somewhere else. But he's going to be a solid football player. That's what I was going to say. With all that being said, he's going to be a solid football player, and he will be a contributor for sure. Uh, so that could have been one that would have hurt on a different team with a different roster makeup. But I think for us, I think it's fine. All right, receiver Dejon Reynolds. Uh, no big deal. I, I mean, I don't. I, I never expected him to be all that prolific of a player. Yeah, he sort of had that breakout where maybe if yeah. you weren't paying attention, you didn't know his background, you thought, hey, this guy's a four-star. Perhaps he's going to be really good. Uh, but yeah, I think he knows as well that the staff doesn't see him. I mean, he only got on the field because he was like option number you know, nine. Yeah. And produced when he was there, but all in all, I think as well, no big deal. I think it is a big deal that Florida's receiving core is what it is. It's a big deal as a storyline, but we have got to have players. Dejon Reynolds would be like the benchmark line of like your number six or seven guy. No offense to him. We've got to have. Yeah, we well, know he's your eight or nine, nine guy. Yeah, and we got to have, you know, much better than that. And we, we really don't. Right now, we've got a lot of question marks in general. Uh, all right, Naquan Wright. Sadly, no big deal, obviously. Yeah, and again, he's a guy who can go to a different program and contribute, as he did. He did, right? He was he was successful under Mullen, uh, but he does not have that same profile. Obviously, the guy's Napier is now going to start getting, which I think Florida's going to start really picking up steam with running backs. All right, Donovan McMillan. Yeah, I would say no big deal. I, I was a little surprised here because he did get some playing time a little bit, um, but he's probably getting over-recruited anyway. He, like that they were recruited over him. So yeah, I think so as well. And a lot, a lot of this is instructive. If you want to see where these guys are getting offers from, so if you think, "Ooh, that hurts," and you start looking at the teams that are actually looking at them, kind of gives you a nice idea of how much Dan Mullen missed on his recruiting. I mean, that's a yeah. nice example of how much he whiffed on his recruiting. And of course, it's a good narrative for Billy to tout as well as to why things are slower. All right, Corey Collier. Yeah, safety, pretty decently rated guy, but this two staffs in a row just seeing that there's not a place for him. So yeah. And so again, not that our, not that we have confidence in our defensive staff here with Grantham or Tony right now, but no playing time really at all. So hard to say it's a big deal there. David Reese. Yeah. The the other David Reese, remember he, we signed so long ago, basically never got in the field, was injured a lot. So no big deal. How about Lorenzo Lingard? Yeah. Same again. That's like three staffs across two schools that have been like, yeah, it just doesn't have it. Yeah, and perhaps he just never was the same after that yeah. knee injury, or perhaps he doesn't do certain things well. But the guy seems like such a great, nice guy. Like a lot of his posts, a lot of what he says, very positive guy. I certainly hope he ends up getting playing time to finish his college career. He's worked hard. Same. It'd, be nice, it'd be nice to see him get some carries somewhere and, and become a little bit more prominent. Chief Borders. Yeah, linebacker, played a lot of special teams, never really got on the field. I I think he was a high enough enough rated guy that, I would take a chance on him if I was another school that you could find the right kind of fit for him. But yeah, a lot of these, big deal. A lot of these guys are. We're naming three, yeah. four-star guys. A lot of four-star guys in this list. Jalen Lee. I'm going to say this one hurts. At interior defensive tackle, Just you want guys who can play snaps. We you know, we took a guy in the transfer portal who might be better than Jalen Lee, but I don't know. And Caleb Banks um, from Louisville. But it's just hard to lose those guys. Not that he was great or will be great, but... Until you can have until you have better guys on your roster than him, I, I would want to retain those guys. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's you always want to have enough defensive linemen, right? As you're talking about, especially in college where you can't count mm-hmm. on your starters to necessarily play three fourths of the game with the same level of skill and composure they do in the first quarter. Uh all right. The next one, Yusef. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name correctly, but Mugarville? I'm going to do it. Mugarville. Okay, good. I'm glad. Um he's not seen the field. He's an offensive lineman. Um I'm going to say who knows for him. Uh, I guess, I mean, he's, he's young. Um, 
but he was a four-star guy. And again, you, you need those type of guys on your team. I, I'm sure they would have liked to keep him in the program theoretically. Now, maybe actually he's not, he's terrible, but again, an SEC level body is what you're looking for in your room. And if he was that, that, that hurts a little bit. If he's not that, then. No and the, the good news is if there's any, if there's any real serious extension of trust we can offer on this football team, it is with the offensive line True. coaching. Like we, after years of mentioning the head scratching decisions with our offensive line, we did not have to mention that almost at all. Like day one, here's the lineup. We thought it happened. Here's what happens. Someone gets hurt. It happened. Like largely it was really well yeah, managed. Other than the Josh Braun stuff that everything right. made sense. Right. And even that, you know, you can, you can extend the trust brand to say, well, maybe it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just not as good at those guys. And so you got, you extend it here, but um, again, okay. I like that. Lloyd Summerall. Yeah. No big deal. I mean, he's a guy who I think is potentially talented, but just never could put it together to get on the field enough for Florida. How about Chris Thomas? Yeah. Like a, a reach last year. Um, I think for the staff just maybe took a flyer on him as a defensive lineman. And wasn't very highly rated, and it's probably just easier to replace him. Yeah, didn't hit. Again, they're trying to clear space for, I think, right. guys they want, right? And you take guys like that, and with the transfer portal, you, it's not that big a deal if they need to go find. But if he hits, then you've kind of unearthed. And they had some space on the roster for him, so took a chance. I guess it didn't work out. All right, guys who went pro, we'll start with AR. Well, we've already talked about him. I mean, yeah, but let's go with the, I mean, just to recapsulate Hurts. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Oh, you well, let's do this yeah. as like a good decision, bad decision thing. Okay, okay. All right. I, I kind of like the for the roster scenario. Okay. Do both. Let's do both. Start first with what it does for next year's roster. Oh, it really hurts. Okay. There it really you go. hurts. And okay. I and think now it's a decision for him. Complicated choice. So okay. I'll say qualified, good choice. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Obviously, really hurts for me in that camp. And then I'm going to say, you know, it's the wrong long term choice. I firmly believe that for developing the skill set. But I also understand why somebody might make that choice. And so you you can't say it's a terrible decision, even if I'm thinking it's not the optimal decision. Uh, right. I'll, I'll stay in that camp. So these next, we're going to talk about Torrance here, but the next three guys had decisions to make. Correct. Torrance, I think, had exhausted his eligibility. He's yeah, he's, he's gone. So yeah. for Torrance, let's just talk about, uh, you know, do you think he'll be a viable pro? I think so, for sure. It seems like he's going to be like one of those guys who starts at right guard or left guard for like a decade. Yeah, I mean, he basically was a wall. He occasionally got beat. We saw it on film like three times this right. whole year uh, against a, a really solid slate of competition. So, yeah, surefire first-round pick right there. All right, Justin Shorter. Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, I think it hurts us in the short term. Um, he obviously never lived up to his recruiting hype, but um, I think we need him on this particular team next year. And I don't know. Maybe he just kind of maxed out what he could do in college. I don't think it's a terrible choice by him. Yeah, Shorter was the guy that I'm going to miss in general because of his energy, what he gave to special teams. He always blocked fully, was a good teammate. Right. One of those guys who I think provided a good presence. And all in all, it was a really nice pickup for Florida to pick him up from Penn State, mm-hmm. even though he did not ever fulfill that, the body, the five-star look. Kind of, he, he wasn't that, but he was a productive player. He was a, count, a dependable guy that you could count on. And again, Florida's receiving core obviously is, is going to be more than interesting next season. Florida's a team in general is yeah. going to be very interesting. All right, how about Jervon Dexter? I mean, in terms of uh, Florida's defense, I mean, this obviously kills you to lose a player of his caliber without anybody behind him. I think if you're if you're going to be a first or second round pick at a defensive line, you certainly go. Yeah, I think you got to go here if you're him in this situation for all the reasons we continue to mention. If you're a top top round pick, first or second, I think that makes sense for you to go, especially at his position. Unlike AR, where you can say, look, he's going to get so much better with Dexter. You might get 
uh, you're going to get better, obviously, in college. But I think, if anything, with his body size and his frame and his strength, going up against NFL guys, if he's good enough, will immediately improve his skills, his technique, and that's going to actually help him get better faster. Right. So I think for him, I think it's a good decision. It obviously hurts Florida. I think he's a guy that was criminally undervalued by the fan base. All right, a guy that we love to mention all the time, sad to see him go, uh, kind of announced today, Richard Gourage. Yeah, and he kind of flirted with the idea of coming back, I think. Although, you know, he is typically someone who would have exhausted their eligibility, but because of COVID, you know, could have come back. Um, obviously, it hurts if you're going to, unless you're just the most well-stocked offensive line all the time, it, it, would, it hurts to lose your, you know, quality left tackle. For him, I... I I think he probably has put enough snaps on tape that NFL knows who he is. And I, I think he'll get drafted. Um, I don't have a sense or haven't heard people talk about what kind of range he would be in, but he has a chance to play in the NFL for a long time. If he can continue to improve. I think he's going to be a guy who plays in the league. Maybe not at left tackle. Per right. Se. He might have to move positions. I think he'll sure. move positions, but I think he's put enough stuff on film at a variety of positions that he can handle that against a lot of guys who are going to play in the NFL. Uh, so, you know, I, I wish him the best. I think he's been a very solid player for Florida, obviously in this case. And it's tricky as an O lineman, like you mentioned at some point, just like with Dexter, you've capped out what teams want to see on film. How quick are your feet? How strong are your hands? How good is your drop step? How good can you zone block? How good can you gap block? Like he's had a lot of film out there. And you reach a point where it's load on your body. Where are you? You know, so I mean, that's, and then you're going to improve you. I think these positions, like you said, not a quarterback. You can improve more and unless I think you're just you, and wildly raw. Same thing. I think he's at the point now where he will perform and he will improve more playing against a consistently better player. And that's what it's really all about. So that makes sense to me as well. So, you know, we're kind of in a weird place in the portal, right? Um, it opened up officially on the 5th. A lot of the guys you would expect hopped in. There's a couple guys maybe who still would hop in or just guys who are not going to hop in because they're. it would be such a downgrade if they went anywhere else. And I don't know... If you're a coaching staff, I, it's weird. I don't know how much leverage you have to escort people into the portal, but there's a few, you know, there's another five or six guys who, if they went to the portal, it would definitely go in the category of no big deal, like easily, like less than no big deal. Um, so we'll see. There might be a few more guys who hop in. Um, there might, you know, might have been someone since we started recording this podcast, who knows, but, uh, and our, our portal activity has been a little strange, you know, I, Expected Florida to be aggressive. We still might take double-digit guys in the portal, but we've taken one so far and have not been that active with offers, apparently. Um, that's at least like the rumors of how we're operating. And, you know, there's goodness in being slow about who you want to take, but the portal is a fast-moving thing. And if you're not up to speed, you know, they Florida built this giant machine to be really ready for the portal, and I don't know if we're taking full advantage of that. Yeah, and we like to stay out of the rumor mill, obviously, with things we cannot observe firsthand. Certainly, there's been some stories that Alan's alluding to that what seemed like it was a really well-built and well-structured, let's call it a transfer portal department, maybe had the rug pulled out from underneath them and the process sort of reinvented at the 11th hour, which is potentially causing Florida to be slow with who to offer. Uh, which would be disappointing, of course, if that is in fact the case. But at the very least, to your point, Alan, you would figure Florida to be a, a a prominent player. They can offer significant playing time at a top school, at a top location, at a top conference. So far, it's been slow. 
So we'll see where it results. A lot of this transfer portal stuff seems to happen lightning quick with a lot of back channels working and et cetera. So, but I will say that it doesn't come across my timeline that a million guys have committed already. No, correct. There's and still I was going to say, guys out there. correct. So we stay away from the rumor stuff other than just to say, let's see what happens with this. I think this is something Billy feels like is going to be a strength of his. Something he's kind of keying on, I think, uh, in general with scouting and development and identifying players he likes. So we will see what happens with that. Uh, of course, a very notable guy that's getting a lot of shine right now is Tulane's quarterback, Michael Pratt. All sorts of noise and information that he's probably going to be coming to Florida if that does even at all happen, if he even transfers. And there's a million things going on with that, right? A lot of noise there. Uh, I'm only mentioning that to say, no, I have not watched film on him yet. I've gotten a million requests to do so. My stance with all of these guys is I do not watch film until they become Florida players. Why? Because I don't have control. I'm not giving me an offer. I'm not the one deciding, hey, Billy, take this guy or that guy. If I was, I would tell you my opinion on him and six other quarterbacks, but I'm not. So for me to start watching film for three hours to evaluate a guy that we may not actually take does not make any sense. I have no control. If we get him, I'll tell you what I think of him. Until then, I don't know. He's a guy who did, statistically, not looking at film, has laddered up every year quite significantly in his performance. And I can tell you right off the bat, when you begin to analyze a quarterback, it's the first thing you look for. Have they appreciably gotten better every year across the board in their numbers? And the answer for him is yes, that is true. Now, there's several other things need to be examined, but that is a lot of the heavy noise right now is that Florida is very in on him. At first blush, if you're thinking Tulane, mid-major, you're kind of where I am. It doesn't mean he's not a really solid quarterback, but in general, it's not going to be a splash. He has perhaps taking a guy who has performed very well somewhere else and is leaving, whatever the case may be. We're going to talk more about this. I think the best way to view this, though, is a hierarchy, right, Alan? In a free agent market like the portal is now, you get to have real college film with these players. That is a benefit over high school film. That's a benefit for sure. You're seeing them perform versus better players. That gives you a better idea of how good they are. That's what allows you to then pick the mid-major guy, which is exactly, by the way, how the NFL does it. They're able to look at guys who were overlooked out of high school. They get into college. They do very well. They make it to the NFL. All right. It's still statistically more likely that if you come from a Power 5 conference, you'll play quarterback in the NFL than if you come out of a smaller conference. But, of course, guys do this all the time. So all that being said, keep an eye on Florida and the transfer market. That is going to be a major target for them now. Word on the street is Florida's not very enamored with Jack Miller being their guy. And that leaves you with nobody. So Florida's going to have to have a transfer guy because I don't think you want to be starting true freshman. Not in year two. Jalen Rashada in year two of a three-year test. That is not going to be what you want in the SEC. So you've got to find a signal caller who's got experience. Pratt's going to be a senior next year. He started a bunch. He played really well this year. I think it's a guy that if we do get him, again, on stats alone, he's at least going to provide great competition to where if you beat him out, great, you're worthy of the job. And he's like at least fits the profile of what you're looking for. Correct. Like, like I said, if you look at him and watch him go, actually, I don't think he's that good. Um, yeah, and so I actually think there's a lot to be had here. And maybe not for guys who's older, but for freshmen and sophomores, the COVID classes where there's not a lot of opportunity to scout, meet. I bet there are a ton of guys who got under-recruited. So if you're on your game, there's some guys you can find who are maybe normally you'd say, I don't know if I want to take this many small school players, but I bet there's a lot more than usual from the last two years because they didn't have the opportunity to like get noticed and maybe be at like power five schools. And now they've shown that they belong there. So we'll see how that goes. Um, 
little coaching carousel news. Uh, David Shaw, this is old news now, resigns from Stanford. They've already filled that position. Um, just a guy who was there forever. It seemed like he'd be there into infinity, but actually stepped down. So it's it was probably best for him in the program. But um, yeah, it still kind of was surprising when it happened. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, you know, they just really trended off a cliff mm. sort of downwards. He felt like he was stable and it was going to be fine and things were going to be rolling there. But off the cliff they go. And, and so out, out he goes, uh, to your point. Willie Taggart, fired again. At some point, you are what your performance mm-hmm. says you are. And outside of like one good year, not a very successful coach. Not a good coach. Um, I think... <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe FSU fans will finally admit that. Um, now some fun ones here. Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. I mean, when this happened, I was like, wow, the timing of this feels crazy. Like they're going to the Big 12. But I guess he had zeroed in that if he's going to make a move, he can't just wait on Ohio State or Michigan to ever open up. And this is a really good job. You can be really successful there without some of the pressure of a place like Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah, this is surprising to me because obviously his star was as high as it could be last year. And by all accounts, he did not seriously consider any of the jobs that were out there. And a there lot of high profile. a lot of high profile jobs out there. His team was also getting ready for the playoffs. Yes. And we commented on that, that that could have just been, and I think now that's why I'm bringing this up. I think now that's what it was. We had said, how likely was it that he did and was ready to leave, wanted to leave, was ready to leave. And his team prevented him from doing so because he was rightfully trying to win a national championship. I think now that's true. Mm-hmm. For him to leave in this year, after this situation when there were not any marquee jobs open, tells me he would have definitely left last year. If they're undefeated and he's fifth, and they do not go to the playoff, I think he's out of there and he's taking one of these high-profile jobs. As it stands, though, he is a Midwest guy. Wisconsin is a program that can win out there. It does fit his profile. It still seems, again, like he probably undershot where he's earned a chance to be. And I think if you're Wisconsin, this is a slam dunk hire. You are so excited for this. And this is a guy that could stay there. If he gets it rolling, he could actually stay in Wisconsin for a while. So home run hire for them. Uh, I think if I'm a Wisconsin fan, that's a 10 out of 10 for me. It's good for the Big Ten as well. All right. A match made in heaven or hell, depending on your perspective. Hugh Freeze to Auburn. This is interesting because (laughs) you either look at Hugh Freeze's tenure at Ole Miss and say he was really successful because he was sort of cheating better than other people. And now if everyone's able to quote unquote cheat with the NIL, does he have a leg up anymore? He's a good football coach. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. But I think it comes down to whether or not, again, he can recruit at that level. And that's what's interesting is can he recruit at that level? If you're an Auburn fan, do you like this? Do you have any conflict about what happened? I don't I don't know. It this seems like a plausible hire for them. He's won in the SEC before. He's won everywhere he's been. He's a winning football coach. It feels like he's gonna win again at a certain level. Um, but I don't think it's also like a ten out of ten excitement level per se for the fan base either. Yeah, it feels like they sold their soul to to make this hire, but I don't know if they had any soul after with the Harson situation. I mean I, Freeze, I think, is going to be successful. I don't, I don't know who I would have wanted Auburn to hire. I mean, of course, they were looking at Lane Kiffin. That didn't happen. That would have been the move, I think. But there's also question marks about Kiffin. 
you know? Oh, I they're mean, real. Like we said, his yeah. recruiting is not above baseline, and that's yeah. going to continue to hamper him. We'll see. It's definitely intriguing. Uh, and then, in a shocker for me, Deion Sanders goes to Colorado. I mean, this is absolutely enormous for Colorado. They were anonymously bad. All of a sudden, they're like the it team in college football. I have a lot of feelings on this. One, you guys all heard me say that I did not want Dion to go to Florida State. Uh-huh. That was a real fear I had because he's either Dion's either going to fall fat on his face and be out of coaching within two or three years, or he's going to mega hit it. Florida State to me was an infinitely better fit than Colorado. I am still shocked, and shocked is the right word, that he chose to go to Colorado. Yes, historically they've been good. They've been prominent. It just does not feel like a state or a city. Boulder, been to Boulder, beautiful place, mm-hmm. really cool. None of that stuff fits with Deion Sanders. Not even remotely does it fit with Deion Sanders. It feels like a humongous cultural mismatch to me. And I think that generally does not work out well. Uh, I don't know. I have questions about this for for Dion in general. I I am surprised he took it. Colorado now will be the center of the football universe. Dion's going to make headlines every single week, and uh, it's going to be fascinating for him to see what happens if he deals with the diversity. He pretty much came into Jackson State and won right away, and never had an issue. That's not going to happen in Colorado, and we're going to see what happens to primetime when things are not going his way. Because I think. When you're a walking soundbite, you're going to put your foot in your mouth a lot. And now everyone's paying attention. Whereas at Jackson State, you know, you had to say something really crazy to make news. So I'm I'm fascinated to watch it. But if I'm like Dion's advisor, I would have, I think I strongly would have cautioned against Colorado being his next job. But here he is. Yeah, USF would have been scary to me. Um, Much better fit as well. Yeah, I think and it's a technically a lower profile job. But I think he could have been excellent there. Yeah, and I think if you're looking at it this way, right, Alan, if his goal is to get to the premier job, is there any real difference between Colorado and USF? Like if he had a grand slam at USF, he's probably going wherever he wants. Yeah. I think so. I think so in that case. Yeah, and I think Georgia Tech would have been interesting or has its own challenges, but the recruiting footprint there is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's to me, him not being in the South is a major mistake. I just in Texas or in the South felt like where he needs to be and he's not. And I just think that's going to be challenging for him out there. Fascinating to follow that. All right. News. They finally, finally confirmed that there's going to be a 12 team playoff in 2024. Amen. They glad they moved it up. I wish it was starting this year. Oh, right. But I guess it's the next best thing. The fact that they got it done, they don't have to wait till 25 or 26 is huge news. This is what needs to be done. I, I'm finally on board with the expansion playoff at 12. has all it. the right incentives for me. I love it. They still need to get all the games on campus until the totally uh, semifinals. But Please, put that, make that happen. That's yeah, going to be so special. And like, I think Words we, cannot describe how special those games are I think are they'll get be. there eventually. Now, and they might have to wait till the contract up, is up in like 26 or whatever it might be or after 25, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, good news for college football fans. Oh, I think it's going to be so special. It's going to change. Think of how you think of December right now. Mm-hmm. It's going to change it forever. Yeah, December's going to become an incredible magnet for college football theater that, like it's never been before. And I'm a conservative person, so I do. I, I Each step along the way, I'm like, okay, let's be sure that we're not losing more than we're gaining. But this just feels like it opens up so many beautiful scenarios. Yeah, I'm stoked. All right, uh, Jalen Kidna. Dismissed from the team. Um, I'm sure you guys have read about that. That that hurts Florida in the short term, probably. 
don't know if he was a long-term guy, but just as like a, from a human perspective, it's, a, it's tough for him and the other people surrounding that situation. So a good example, you know, I feel like of in life, how, you know, a, well, you and I, Alan, both believe, of course, that human nature <clears throat> is in fact flawed and will choose to do bad things and that we're fallen beings. And of course, no one, and that's no one is above making bad decisions, even really bad ones, right? We're all capable of doing that. Uh, and no one is no one is above hiding it really well either. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that surprised a lot of people was that no one seemingly knew about this and the coaches did not know he was under investigation for months. Um, very secret kind of scenario going on that obviously got exposed and that's tough for everyone involved the victims the families the football team the coaches I mean, that's just one of those situations that is life-altering in a lot of ways and uh, obviously bad news for Kitna and for you know that family and like we said everyone else involved and for Florida's football team I think that was a guy they fancied as a good backup guy that could step in and win you a game if you had to put a lot of time a lot of investment into him but ultimately his individual decision you know, train wrecks, uh, uh, potentially a significant part of his youth mm-hmm. and life, obviously, here. That's tough. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. In other news, Caleb Williams wins the Heisman. I think it was a funky year for Heisman candidates, but so funky. I think this he, year. he's a deserving winner. I'll say that. I, I think there's some other people who maybe will have snuck in there and be like, that's kind of weird. I think long term, it's going to be like, yeah, he, it would be weird if he didn't, considering he's a potential number one overall pick. Yeah, he's he's the AR, ceiling AR. That's what he is. He's the guy who trends automatically in that direction. What's fun about football is AR could surpass him. AR could become more than him. Mm-hmm. But right now, he is the AR everyone wanted and dreamed of. That's what he is on a game-by-game basis. He's a tough, basis. physical dude, smart. Very, yes, correct. Love to watch him play. And he's and, being coached by a guy yeah. who gets the most out of him, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, I think this was a year, Alan, to your point, with a Heisman that a defensive player could have won had there been one. There just wasn't one. In previous years, we've had guys or running back. You've had guys that probably could have won in a weird year like this one, but unfortunately, there wasn't one of those guys, and you were kind of left with no obvious candidate uh, that really could have gotten it, so they gave it to the best player, I think, as far as talent goes. They gave it to the most talented player. Right, and he got his team did enough to get him in the conversation. Um, Yeah, and I think he's he's a – Hinden Hooker had a better, like, storyline of season, but, I mean – Caleb Williams is a better player than Hinden Hooker. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of a weird year. It wouldn't be fun to give it to a defensive player. If, they, if you'd had, like, Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson, I think, would have won. Like that, exactly. You know, I think that would have been the year. I think so. And then we already mentioned Osiris Torres. Osiris Torrance getting his brick out in front of the stadium. First time we've had a, a guy do that in a long time. I know, which is crazy, right? First team All-American. Nuts. 
All right, recruiting primer time. So early signing days later than last year this year. It's on December 21st, right near Christmas. We are going to be back with you after that. So right now we're just going to set the stage for you, and then we'll actually do the breakdown after. So setting the stage last year, 2022, the eight-day commitment cycle that Billy Napier had, we signed 17 commits, zero in the top 30, two in the top 100, five top 300. We were 19th nationally, ninth in the SEC, a tier four recruiting class. As we do every time we talk about recruiting, our tier system explainer, something we use here on the podcast, we created to kind of identify what it takes to win a national title. You have to be in tier one or tier two. That's the answer. And we'll start with tier one. You need to have two top 30-ish players, six plus top 100 guys, and 13 plus top 300 guys. So basically, you'd be stacking those 20 to 21 of your players are top 300. In that regard, that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, for that situation, that's going to be tier one. That's going to be two or three classes a year that reach that level, right? Alabama, Georgia, so a Ohio team State. like Texas A and M last year, they like broke the system. They had like double digit guys in the top one hundred and correct a ton of guys in the top thirty. It was like insane, insane. They were like, yeah, tier insane. And look how that worked out for them early on this far. Tier two is one top thirty ish player, four plus top one hundreds, and eleven plus top three hundred. The reason we say top thirty is because that what we mean by that is a five star player. And that tends to it fluctuates. fluctuates how many of them there are. Fluctuates, right. And then uh, tier three is going to be maybe one, but could be zero top 30 players, just two top 100 players or eight or more top 300. So you can kind of see you basically lose on each level, Alan. You lose uh, uh, top 30 players. You're going from tier one to tier three. You lose a couple each each tier of top 100 guys. And then you lose a couple plus a little more in top 300. So you're losing... Per tier, you're losing five or so total guys that are pretty talented. And that's what makes a big difference over the course of four years of recruiting. Right now in 2023, Florida is tier three. We're 11th in the 247 composite rankings. A lot of you follow those closely. There was an update that occurred, although no one was playing football. And Florida got dropped significantly because a lot of their guys got dropped. And if you follow that stuff, you tend to think that Georgia's got a bias there. And (laughs) Kirby Smart's got ability to change rankings and all that kind of stuff. But regardless... The tier system still works for this kind of nicely. Uh, Florida has 22 commits. We have 18 four-stars. That's a great percentage of that, by the way. Yeah, huge, significant percentage, blue chip percentage, if you like that. Uh, We have one in the top 55, which is Jalen Rashada, who used to be a five-star. They've kind of dropped his ranking some, but he's he's about 55th. He's right at the cusp of like this very high-end four-star Correct. And then we have three to four top 100s, which puts us right there at tier two. And then we have 14 to 15 top 300s, which puts it tier one. So we're tier one, top 300. We're a tier two, top 100. And we're a tier three, top 30. Yeah, if you're looking at the math on that, each of those numbers stack into each other. Correct. So for us, that's still a tier three class, almost tier 2.5. It's not done yet, though. A lot of rumors swirling. Florida's going to have a very strong finish here, potentially. And if we do, we could move up into a tier two class, potentially not likely a tier one class more likely we finished tier two and if we finished tier two it'll be the first time we finished tier two since really urban meyer under this system right uh since that's that's a long long time and even with all the nil stuff with all the drama we are right here we are in play for this and that would be a massive massive flag planted for florida that we are back on the recruiting trail you must take us seriously we are no longer kind of hanging out in the crew that probably cannot win a national title talent-wise, which yeah. is awesome. And if Florida had landed Cromani McLean, which was the expectation until very hink- hinky stuff happened at the end, they'd be 
kind of right there. Right there. Yeah, we'd be at tier two with a chance to go to tier one with yeah. one more. And so and that's what's, you know, those guys will make a difference. Sure. And you, so you see, it shows you need those top end guys to be really successful. And the 2024, 20, gosh, it sounds so far away, but it's not. Class is trending in that direction. Big news. We haven't gotten, we didn't mention him. Derek Lagway, uh, who's a 2024 20, quarterback recruit, five star guy, seems to be a cornerstone type player, another five star linebacker. They basically only have two or three commits in the class, but they're all extremely highly rated. Yeah, this is something that we have not seen at Florida since right. Urban. This is the like building of a mega class. And we had asked this question, which we'll revisit throughout the year. Did COVID plus NIL change plus this stuff sort of potentially move the this second year class, this bump class, the most important one? Did it move it one more year back? And the answer is potentially yes. It's looking like the answer is going to be yes, Alan. Yeah. But although this class right now from Billy is still going to be pretty good, it's possible this next class can be a monster class. And that's possibly one year delayed given all the newness and all the scenarios going on. Uh, but either way, recruiting. Overall, talked a lot about season stuff on field. I want to ask you this question. Recruiting-wise right now, before we revisit it and put it to bed after early signing day, is this trending in a direction that you feel, you know, are you happy with this? Are you neutral or are you negative? Super like, happy you? with it. I mean, I think... Considering when he came in and the accelerated nature, you didn't mention like you know the early signing day, which is, um, like you know kind of crazy, you know, for a new coach, that it would take a little longer. If if now year three is the real bump class, then that would be make a lot of sense. I don't know if that's true. If the data will will bear that out, but um, that he's trending towards a mega class in year three, and that that's understandable. That 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 would be the way things shake out. Yeah, for sure. And it's exciting stuff for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. We had high expectations for him. One of the reasons that we had selected him as our number one coach was his long-term play. If the long-term hits for him, Alan, it's a championship level. And one of those reasons was his recruiting ability at Louisiana. He took them from middle to bottom of the table to top. And they consistently stayed there. And right now the trend it's got to hold. We got to, we got to nail the finish here. The trend is trending for Florida to become a top three SEC recruiter. And that is what you have to have to be able to win. So really good news in the off the field culture building recruiting area for this program. Yeah. And I mentioned just the highlights in this class, at least thus far, Jaden Rashad at quarterback, some good wide receiver commits, some good, a lot of guys along the defensive line. They're really focused on that. It's been a big need. We'll see what else happens along the way. So again, nothing is set in stone until these guys sign. So you can talk about this is just a snapshot of where Florida's at. Correct. And we still have holes in the roster, still significant needs we need to fill. Still other stuff we'll talk about. You know, a lot of you, I think, are probably wondering about Bateman, the linebackers coach. I haven't talked about him. How do we feel about him? A lot of rumors on him. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just continue to deliver stuff as it occurs, as we see things finish. Hey, if we whiff on linebackers, should we ask questions? What's, what's, what's this look like performance-wise? But for now... Hard transition to games we picked, thanks to Qatar in the World Cup. This was a while ago. I'm not going to go back through them, but we're talking about the week where, you know, the Egg Bowl happened during Thanksgiving. Rivalry right? Week, That's yeah. where we are, rivalry week. And I just want to give you the finishes that Alan and I had for this season picking because they were terrible. To? But in fairness to us and almost everyone else who picked, if you did college pick on this year, this was one of the hardest seasons since we've been doing the podcast Brutal. for picking versus the spread. Alan won a robust 75 and 90. I exact revenge from last year where Alan eclipsed me. Uh, however, I went 79 and 86. So both of us <laughs> were still losers. Not a lot of pride there. 
with that one. Not ideal. We'll skip coaching corners because no one sent it to me. And also, where was I? Not here. Uh, so send those in, however, all throughout December. Send them in. I'll collect them. NFL games, etc. Bowl games. And we'll analyze what you see. Tweet, email, Facebook, whatever your medium is. Send them to us. All right. So just to set you up here for this next segment, the Las Vegas Bowl, the Florida Gators are playing Oregon State. We're not going to spend almost any time breaking down this game. We're not going to make a prediction. Um, we're going to talk about it in general here. And so it's happening on Saturday at 2.30. Oregon State, fantastic year for them. They're 9-3. and three. They're favored by 10. Excuse me. This is the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Okay, get that in. Um, and so it's not nothing. It's a data point, but I don't think it's very significant in the big scheme of things as bowl games become less and less significant to the overall profile of the team. Let me ask you this. If you're trying to prognosticate here, James, how much emphasis do you think the staff is putting into this game? I'm going to say <laughs> you don't want to say none because that's not true. But again, I have criticized this staff for not putting enough emphasis on games in the actual season. So if I felt like they were, and don't don't mistake that, like if that was a soundbite on TV, I'd be trending right now for like, <laughs> oh, James thinks Napier is not trying to win. It's not what I'm saying. But the commitment to the formula was so strong during an actual regular season. Well, what do you think the commitment to the formula now is when you've got 20 different guys gone, you're busy recruiting, you're starting Jack Miller, maybe Kyle Ingle plays, it's right? very I mean, early bowl game too. I mean, it's, I mean, really like what's the, are you tactically spending all your resources trying to win this football game? Does it even matter anymore to anybody? No, bowl games are stupid. I've talked about this for, since we started the podcast, I was like banging the bowl games are stupid drum for 15 years. Ever since my friend, David Boss, who played at Michigan, played in the Super Bowl, went to high school with him, you know, told me every, every time he came back home, he's like, Hey, let me tell you about bowl games, dude. Like every time Michigan goes to play in the Rose Bowl, but they were gutted because they lost to Ohio State the week before or something. I was like, we don't even care. We don't want to be there. And he was dead right. That was the beginning of the end of bowl games. It's just ceased to matter with the BCS. And now we're here where this doesn't matter at all. It's an exhibition game. It doesn't matter. If I'm a coach, I don't even really care about this game. It doesn't matter to me. I could care less. I'm going to get my guys playing time. I want to develop them. Development. So there you go. What does matter? Development matters. I'm going to develop my guys. I want to see how they react to things. I want to see how they can handle game plans. It's all about development, not winning or losing, which is why we are not going to give you the tactical win-lose strategy play because I don't think this staff is looking at that as much as they're just going to roll their strategy out, teach their fundamentals. Here's how we cover this. Here's how we cover that. Communicate correctly. Learn our calls. Here's how you run a creeper. Here's how you run a simulator pressure. Here's how you run this stuff. It's much more to me of like a live scrimmage to put a down payment on next year with, unfortunately, Alan, maybe a lot of guys that you don't even think are going to see the field next year because of new incoming talent. So Florida's in a weird spot in this game. Oregon State's on the total opposite end. Yeah. Fantastic year from them. We beat we beat Utah, who obviously went on to finish the year really well and win the Pac-12. So, of course, Oregon State's not going to care that we're missing half our team. They want to be able to say that they beat Florida when Utah couldn't. So I think this game is just jacked up from an incentive, an incentive level for Florida at all. And it's it's maybe the most unbalanced bowl game there is with like incentive between Oregon State and Florida. And Oregon State's good. They're a good football team. So would you you talk about how much emphasis the staff's putting in this game? Is that aligned with what you would do? Yeah, I think I would go all development. I like to win. I want to win games. But I think you're playing the hand that's dealt to you. As a college football coach, I don't think you want all this turnover. I don't think you like it. I don't think you want it. 
I think you'd rather have the old school days where you're building your roster out. All your guys stay there. You're investing them all year long. You have to finish investing in them. But you got to adjust with the hand that is dealt to you in the world you're in. And so if I'm coaching, I think I'm full on development trying to invest in the guys that I think are going to contribute next year. And I'm going to try to test them to see what they're made of. Can I get some information on them? So I already know whether or not I think they can handle a load against a real opponent. Give me some information I can use. Don't waste this chance to learn about your own roster. That is what I would do. And then I think, of course, you try to win the football game using scheme, strategy, tactics, etc. cetera. Uh, but my point there is like, I think you lean on development, right? Yeah. You lean on development. I want to win. I'm going to try to win. But if you don't win, I don't know you get on the plane and think that sucked. I think get on the plane and say, great, I'm ready now for the offseason because really all that matters is trying to get this thing going in year two. Yes. And I, I think, you know, there's a question about how much the team cares. I think there's a segment of the team that maybe doesn't care about the outcome, but cares about their presence in the game, right? So you do have an incredibly young team. If there's guys who have been redshirting and, you know, still have a game available, hopefully they can get in this game, right? That there's guys like Shamar James and, uh, you know, other freshmen and sophomores who are just getting a chance to play. I, I want to, this is good snaps for them. This is good development for them. I think they should care, you know, hopefully they'll play hard because they're competitors, right? So this is a good team culture game, right? Not that you have everybody available or you throw the kitchen sink tactically, but I think you want the players to play well because they care about their own development and they care about just winning because they're competitive. Dan Mullen used to talk about this. I want to beat you at everything. I understand this, right? Hey, we're going to play the game. Let's have everyone who's going to play try hard. doesn't mean you have to like just put all of your like soul into it, but that you're competing. You're not like, you know, lagging around. I don't want to see that, but I don't care that we're, if the top line guys don't play or, Hey, you're going to give like just the freshman, all the snaps or whatever, like go for that type of stuff. I'm all for that. Yeah. And the incentives are wrong lastly on this. And that's why it's like what Dan Mullen says is you're always imagining a scenario where there's some incentive for you to win. You're playing your brother, Mm -hmm. your friend, right? Uh, You know, your rival across town, um, your girlfriend, your spouse, whatever it is, like there's some reason why you want to beat them. In an exhibition game or an all-star game, like those guys don't care either. And they're mm-hmm. the most competitive people on planet Earth. It's like a showcase event. Yes. And that's what these have become. They're just it's like the WWE. It's just there for entertainment. And the players themselves, of course, when you step between the lines, you want to play a sport and you want to have fun and you love playing football. But you know, it's the NBA All-Star game. It's like, do they really care if they win that game? No. They might care for that last point. The very last point of the NBA game, if it's like tied, they want to make that bucket, right? But the rest of the game is like, hey, man, I don't really care. And I think the incentives are wrong for it. And that's largely what happens. And I think that's why coaches have also, rightfully so, Alan, they've sort of thrown in the towel. Good luck trying to motivate your guys to play for a game that is largely meaningless and could hurt them, could do this, could do that. They've seen everyone else leave already. You just lose the ability to right. really do Especially much with this kind of game. a program like Florida. Now, there are some incentives that align for smaller teams, and you end up with some really fun games. Then it's great, and we always talk right. about picking based upon the incentive because largely that's a good way to go. All right, any interest in seeing Jack Miller at all? I mean, looking forward yeah. to that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I love looking at quarterbacks. He's been a guy who Florida brought in. They were relatively high on him. People thought he'd be the de facto backup, got beat out by Kitna, never reclaimed his spot. I hear a lot of rumors that they don't think he's really very good. And so tape will always tell you, let's look at the film. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him. For me, it makes the game interesting, actually. I'd mm-hmm. love to see Kyle Engel play. I think it'd be a shame if they don't give him at least a drive or two for all the work he's put in on this football team throughout his time here. 
but I love watching quarterbacks. I'll have fun watching. Jim yeah, Miller. that's like the main thing I would just want to take away from it because he's presumably going to be on the team next year. Yeah. Is what kind of a player do you have in him? And again, it's not the tell all like in a bowl game, but I think it would give some really important data when we have almost none on him. And if you're Jack Miller, this is your Super Bowl. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're at a spot now where you're the de facto number one guy. There's no one on the roster. Mm-hmm. You've got a freshman coming in who you've got years of experience on. And then you've got a transfer guy you know they're going to bring in. But this is it. This is a chance for you to come out there and be like, hey, I don't care who you're putting at receiver. I don't care who I have anywhere. I'm going to I'm gonna make you know that I can run this offense well. And that's what coaches want to see. Can you get in and out of the calls? Can you call the right protections? Can you audible to the right play? More so than, hey, do you score 40 points with a bunch of backups? Can you conduct the offense in a way that gives them confidence? Uh, and I think for him, it's a golden opportunity to put something on film. Speaking of golden opportunities, Alan, it is the most festive time of the year. It is. Some might say silver and gold, like golden opportunity. Silver and gold. Uh, at any rate, HelloFresh is here to help you make the most of every silver and gold moment. Uh, from holiday hosting to dinners, busy weeknights, you can count on HelloFresh to deliver fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes. In fact, HelloFresh is doing something very special this year. They have a festive eats mealtime. So a special menu, holiday-inspired dinners, seasonal mm. add-ons, three-course offerings, all designed to make your holiday meals extra yummy and easier than ever. So most of you are going to wind up making stuff for Christmas or other things like that, but perhaps those meals in between, you can still have some holiday goodness without having to spend all day doing it. As always with HelloFresh, your ingredients are farm-fresh and pre-proportioned, delivered right to your doorstep, no grocery store chips required, and that is why it's America's number one meal kit. And a special deal this holiday season for all of you, you can get 18 free meals now. Wow. 18 free meals from HelloFresh if you simply go to HelloFresh.com slash GNFP18 and type in the code GNFP18 for 18 free meals this holiday season. Alan and I have had these HelloFresh meals before. So is our resident dietitian, Amber, and we can tell you they are actually quite delicious. Mm -hmm. We were impressed with the quality of them. It does require some cooking, so be advised. You can't just put it in the microwave. But if you already cook, this is a great way to be able to have some extra delicious If you already cook. I mean, if you're a human other than... Other than me, who eats out every single meal, in which case, come on, I can't be doing that stuff. (laughs) All right, it's time for a really fun part of the podcast tradition here, the bowl game slate. We're going to pick all the bowl games. We're going to package this into a separate little competition for me and James here. Part of the fun is reading off the hilarious sponsors along with these great bowl names. So let's start on Friday, December 16th. The Hometown Lenders Bahamas Bowl. Miami, Ohio playing UAB. UAB is favored by 10. It should be noted that Alan and I know just about nothing (laughs) on any of these games. So we know that like Florida is missing half their roster. And I, I could not tell you, especially now post World Cup, I could not tell you anything about what's happening or who's playing for probably any team so this is going to be extra fun i'm sure i'll do the best i've ever done uh 10 points in my bowl game picks generally is a dangerous number i feel like i like uab i like their mascot it's pretty sweet and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna if this was nine and a half i think that i would take uab but it's 10 i'm gonna take my bio take the Give me uab okay i like that they're ready they're they're ready. They're is this the Trent school? Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. They're feeling it. This is actually going to be a fun game. Uh, this is the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. Matching up two top 25 teams here. UTSA and Troy. And Troy is favored by one. 
Wow. I'm going to take UTSA. Duluth, that's the uh, Duluth Trading Company, like the boxers, mm-hmm. right? Like the no stink, no whatever. Yeah, yeah. there you go. I'm going to take UTSA. I'll take you to UTSA as well. Um, this should be a fun one if you're looking to watch something on Friday. There you go. Okay. Saturday the 17th. Let's start with, heck, let's start with our game. Okay, let's do it. I'm ready. The SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Man, SRS All right. Distribution. Can't get more excited. I love, I love the, how they distribute so well. Um, Oregon State is favored by 10. Who you got? I mean, I'm taking Oregon State here. I feel like if Florida were to get inside this 10-point number, that'd be a really nice, solid day for them, given what I feel like this game is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also much closer to Oregon than it is to Florida. And I just think Florida, you know, different mindset. Someone take Oregon state. Uh, yeah. Give me the beeves as well. I think, yeah, all the stuff we said, um, it's just a tough one here. All right. The Wasabi Fenway bowl, Cincinnati with, without Luke fickle playing Louisville without Scott Satterfield. <laughs> These are two like, coachless teams here. I know. Right. So who's going to win a battle of coachless teams? I think Luke Fickle's maybe a better overall team builder. So I'm going to, I'm going to take his uh, second and thirds in command to win over Louisville's. That's a great. I like that a lot. Why don't you take that for me as well? Okay. Uh-huh. Here we are. The Jimmy Kimmel LA bowl, man. Look at Jimmy. You've really arrived when a bull is named after you. It's so good. Presented by stifle. Stiffle? Oh, yeah. Stiffle Nicholas. Yeah. That's a financial advisory company. All right. Fresno State's favored by three. Mm. I'm going to take the Cougs here. Washington State. Let's go. Let's go, Cougs. I think I like Fresno State here. I feel like they'll be pretty amped in this game. All right. The Lending Tree Bowl. Always a great one, huh? Rice and Southern Miss. Southern Miss favored by six and a half. What do you think? The ever dangerous six and a half. It's dangerous. I feel mm. like Southern Miss is a team that does well in bowl games. I have no information to su- support that theory, but I'm going to go with Southern Miss. I'll join you there. I like it. feel good about it. All right. Just the New Mexico Bowl. A, little, a few acronyms here. SMU, BYU. SMU is favored by five and a half. Oh, excuse me, one and a half. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, that's a much bigger spread than I thought. Uh, BYU, I think this game, this is this is a nice matchup. Speaking of a game where I think you have equal incentive, this is one of them. I think both teams want to be here. Uh, over under 71 in this game. Love Absolute it. shootout. And I'm going to take uh, BYU. Give me SMU. I'm feeling it. The ponies. All right, the Frisco Bowl. North Texas and Boise State. Boise State favored by 10. What are you thinking here? Frisco, not in San Francisco, by the way, mm. in Texas. And therefore, you don't just walk into Texas and play <laughs> North Texas and win by 10 or more. Someone take North Texas. Why not? Let's do it. North Texas, how about it? Love it. So that's all. that all Those games we just gave you, that's all Friday and Saturday right there. Mm-hmm. So two days, a lot of action very early in the season this year. Okay, on Monday, you got you got one here on Monday, the nineteenth, in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, Marshall and UConn. I've got to take Jim Mora and the feel good story of the season with UConn. Yeah, Marshall favored by ten. You like that? I like it. Give me a heck yeah, give me UConn. Okay, crushing it. I like it. You're just very excited about your picks right now. I know. I'm loving this bowl season here. It's it's always this is always fun just reading off these names. All right, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. It it. is famous, right? I wish the Vandals were still in Division One. Man, super sad. Eastern Michigan, San Jose State. San Jose State's favored by three and a half. 
Eastern Michigan feisty team. One of my favorite guys that I play flag with went to Eastern Michigan, played there. But I got to go against him. I take San Jose State here. I'll join you on that one. All right. The roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. Mm. Is that how you say it? Boca Raton? Boca yeah, Raton? Boca Raton. Mouth of the yeah. rat. Yeah, there you no go. Uh, a, few, a Hugh Friesless Liberty plays Toledo. And Toledo's favored by four. Holy Toledo. I'm all on it. Give me Yes. Time. They're going to make so many roof claims in this game. I love it. All right. We got a Wednesday game here for you. The R&L Carriers, New Orleans Bowl. R&L Carriers, I don't know what they do, but they always sponsor a bowl. Good for them. They're always carrying stuff. That's the bottom <laughs> line. Uh, it's Western Kentucky and South Alabama. South Alabama favored by seven and a half. My good buddy here I also play football with, Wes Vollmer, went to Western Kentucky, played there, played tight end. And I'm going to take I'm gonna take Dale Toppers. Why not? Let's do it. Mm, yeah, I'm going to go Hill Toppers too. That. The wow. spread's too high for me. Yeah, too high. All right, seven and a half. That half point got you, I think. All right, yeah. here we go. The hook, I didn't like it. Thursday game, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Air Force versus Baylor. It's favored by Man, six and a half. Baylor, you love If you don't take Baylor, yeah. I'm going to be super disappointed in you. I, I Baylor's had a fail of a season, so just by that rule alone, I have to take Air Force. I mean, can I, I have to take Air Force in the Armed Forces Bowl. Okay. That's the rule of bowls. That's fair. If That's you're fair. named after the bowl, like if the Gators play in the Gator Bowl, you have to take yeah. them. And again, look at what a good job these bulls are doing. Like every single day, there's a bull game on. That's part of the reason why we do this. So you guys can just know. If you're bored, flick the TV on. Odds are you'll find a bull game. Of course, we got some Friday games here for you. Uh, I mean, it just keeps rolling. The Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Good name there. <laughs> um, at least companies have no idea what they do. Louis, I guess they make technology. Louisiana and Houston. Houston favored by six and a half. What do you think? Billy Napier's old team didn't have a great season. Would like to finish strong versus a Houston team that's been up and down 60 and a half. Is the over and a lot of points being scored there. I think somebody will separate and that's going to be Houston. I'm taking Houston. I like, uh, yeah, I like it as well. Inside that seven number for for me. This is actually a fun one here. Um, well-matched teams, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. Got Wake in Missouri. Wake's favored by two and a half. What do you think? I think I have no idea, but Missouri been a feisty team, given a lot of people problems. Uh, Wake Forest, obviously, very good on offense. I mean, feels like Wake Forest is the better football team here, but I'm going to take Missouri. Give me the Demon Deeks, man. I love it. All right. If you're looking to watch some college football on Christmas Eve, bowl season delivers. Uh, it's the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl, MTSU, San Diego State. San Diego State is favored by seven. I think that MTSU is going to have too much fun being in Hawaii and not in Middle Tennessee. So they're not going to be in the right frame of mind. Where if you live in San Diego, you already live in paradise. So for them, it's no big deal. Just a plane flight. I'm going to take San Diego State. That's, you know, just infallible logic. I'll have to join you there. (laughs) All right. Sorry, no games on Christmas. But guess what? You got the NFL for that, though. Yeah. On Monday, December 26th. In the Quick Lane Bowl, New Mexico State, Bowling Green, who's favored by two. Quick Lane, much better than the Slow Lane. Mm. And uh, in this case, I'm definitely taking Bowling Green. No, New Mexico State, dude. Come on. I like that. New Mexico State, man. Lobos, they're ready, man. They're so happy to be in a bowl. They just got barely bowl eligible. New Mexico State's got a special place in our heart because they were the very first podcast episode we ever did. That is very true. All right. 
Let's keep it rolling. The Camellia Bowl, Georgia Southern and Buffalo. Who's Georgia Southern's favored by three and a half. Georgia Southern. I don't know my good buddies went there, played football with him all the time too. I got to take Georgia Southern here. Must be done. My parents' alma mater, Georgia Southern. I'm a product of them. You know, obviously a little checkered past there, but I'll join you, Georgia Southern. Let's do it. Okay. The Surf Pro First Responders Bowl, Memphis and Utah State, Memphis favored by seven. We'll take the underdogs here with Utah State. Uh, seven points feels like too much for Memphis. Yeah, I'll join you. All right. The Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, Battle of Carolinas here, Coastal Carolina, East Carolina. East Carolina is favored by nine and a half. Give me East Carolina for the same reverse reason. I did not take a team that was on 10 earlier. They're on nine and a half. Now I like that extra half. Yeah, a little news here for you. Uh, Grayson McCall, the Coastal Carolina QB in the transfer portal. Maybe Florida gives him a look. No Jamie Chadwell there. Yeah, I'll join you with East Carolina. Where is uh, Jamie Chadwell going? He's moving on to Liberty. Nice hire by them. It's very intriguing, Coach. Yeah, the Flames. That's a nice hire by them for sure. All right. The guaranteed rate bowl. Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, Wisconsin favored by three. Nothing is guaranteed about Oklahoma State. Wisconsin, I think, is going to get that boost of playing for your new coach. He's not there, but, you know, put everything you can on tape. It's a, it's a fresh start for a lot of those players. So I'm going to take Wisconsin. In this yeah, game. Oklahoma State has just had a rough end of the year. I'll, I'll take Wisconsin as well. All right. The Military Bowl presented by Paraton, whatever that means, Paraton. UCF and Duke. Nice. It's a pick em. Yeah, and look, these bowl games so far, the closest I can ever recall. Almost all these spreads are within a touchdown or lower. And it's a pick them with UCF versus Duke. And I'm going to take the Golden Knights here. No, I'm not. I hate UCF. I'm taking Duke. Yeah, give me Duke, please. Why not? Can't ever do that. What was I thinking? <laughs> all right. Uh, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. This one's kind of fun. Kansas and Arkansas battle of six and six teams. They probably feel very differently about being here. Arkansas favored by four and a half. This feels like a game that Arkansas is oddly going to be up for. I don't really know why. Kansas is going to be way up for this game, but I'm going to take Arkansas. No, give me Kansas. Jayhawk. I like that. I I picked them so many times this year. I love picking them. Yeah. Okay. The San Diego Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Just if you're in San Diego and you want to need a credit union, now you know about it. Oregon and North Carolina. Oregon's favored by 10.5. So North Carolina doesn't play defense. A lot of rumors with Drake May, NIL money, other stuff going on. I think Oregon's still trying to ascend. I'm going to take Oregon here. Uh, I'll I'll stay with Oregon there with you too. All right, the Tax Act Texas Bowl. Texas Tech and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is favored by four. This is a hard one motivation-wise. Texas Tech has been a really feisty team all year. Are they within four points of a what can be a good old Miss team? I don't think so. I'm going to take Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, it just feels like offensively they're going to be able to do enough damage to them. Okay, the bad boy mowers pinstripe oh, bowl. Oh, bad boy mowers. been waiting for it. <laughs> Syracuse, Minnesota. Minnesota favored by seven and a half. You don't simply walk into the Carrier Dome <laughs> and get a win, but they're not playing in the Carrier Dome. Syracuse sort of fell off a cliff towards the end of the year. Yeah. And for that reason, I've got to take Minnesota. I don't know. I don't like this game at all. Um, from a choosing standpoint here, I'll take Syracuse. I have no idea why. Okay. The Cheez-It Bowl, Oklahoma and Florida State. 
That's a fun one. Florida State favored by seven and a half. I think Florida State's, this is where we are in the state of Florida as football teams. Not good. Florida State, Florida, Miami. I think Florida State's excited to be here versus a, a team in Oklahoma where if this was 2001, you know, this is a big game, right? Your 90s this is a national championship game. So I'm going to take Florida State here with seven and a half. Yeah, I guess I have to go with that as well. Hmm, I don't like that. Okay, the Valero Alamo Bowl. This is a fun one. Texas and Washington. Texas favored by six, James. What do you I mean, think? you're playing at home. Does that help you or hurt you? Hmm. In bowl game sense, that tends to hurt you because you're not excited about it. So I think these Texas kids, they're playing in front of their family, though, in the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> Pac-12 comes in. It's hot. You live in Washington. It's never hot. It's hot for the winter. You're feeling good. You got a lot of energy. I'm going to take Washington here. All right. I'm just going to go reverse you and take Texas here as always smart. Is my norm. Always smart. All right. Uh, an old ACC game here in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, Maryland and NC State. Maryland favored by one. Hey, wave high the black and gold. Got to take the Terps. Yeah. I don't like where NC State is at right now. I'm going to go Maryland as well. All right. That gives us. Next, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Oh, show them you're a tiger. Pitt and UCLA. UCLA is favored by six. Show them what you can do. Um, I mean, what a great. That's absolutely great. That you still know those jingles from being a kid, by the way. Marketing, it really, really works. Uh, I'm going to take UCLA. Yeah, me too. All right, Gator Bowl. Excuse me. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Please, come on, Tax Slayer. Notre Dame, South Carolina, Notre Dame favored by three and a half. I like Notre Dame in this one. Hmm, me too. Okay, we got Does that. Does that seem crazy? Why do we like Notre Dame? South Carolina finished better than anyone else in the country has finished. I feel like Notre Dame is still hungry. Maybe South think, Carolina you don't got think South Carolina's hungry. I feel like they did what they wanted to do there at the end of the year. That's actually, I agree with that. That's why I was going with that. I just didn't want to gloss over that because on face of it, South Carolina is the right pick there. They're white hot, but I think they're kind of done and they're celebrating their season already. All right, you got the Barstool. Sports Arizona Bowl. This is kind of a weird one. Ohio and Wyoming. Ohio fair by one. I'm sure you got a real great beat on this one. I do for sure. I'm taking Wyoming 100% all in. Yeah, I'm just going Ohio. I'll leverage why it. Why not? Favored. All right. Battle of all orange in the Orange Bowl. Tennessee Clemson, the Capital One Orange Bowl. Excuse me. Clemson fair by seven. No, oh, give me Tennessee all day. I'm taking them. Yeah, and even though without Hinden Hooker, I don't think it matters. They're a system team. I've said this before. It, d- it does matter at some level, but I mean, people thought that people thought their program was crumbling versus Vanderbilt, and remind me of that score. Yep, fifty something to nothing. Yeah, I'm gonna regret that if I don't take them. I'll take Tennessee here. All right, time for some of the big boys, I guess. <laughs> some of the New Year Six here. Um, you got the All State Sugar Bowl, Alabama, Kansas State. Alabama is favored by four. That seems insane. When was the last time Alabama was favored by four? Is their whole team not playing? What the heck is going on? I don't mm. know. I'm taking Bama. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. How does Bama feeling about this? You know, they're... Man, I feel like I'm going to feel stupid either way here. But give me Kansas State. Wow. Okay, fair enough. I like it. All right, let's let's stay with the well. Let's go. I let's go. Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Yes, Iowa, Kentucky, 
Kentucky favored by two and a half. Yeah. Will Levis, the number one overall pick, best quarterback ever, is not playing to work on his draft stock. And Iowa doesn't score any points. But, I mean, Kentucky can't score points either. It's a rock fight. The over-under on this game, Allen, (laughs) is 31 and a half. Which feels too high. So if you are looking for your New Year's Eve plans... Maybe don't include this game, but I'm going to pick it's, Iowa. It's, it's noon, so you're okay. Yeah, just do I'm something gonna go, else. Go I'm going to go Iowa, too. I'm, I'm not watching this game at all. Okay, um, the playoffs. Let's go ahead and pick the playoffs. Playoffs? Right? TCU, Michigan, CFB sem- semifinal at the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. TCU, Michigan. Michigan favored by seven and a half. I'm taking TCU. Wow. They've had a magical season. Michigan's wow. getting all the shine. Uh, TCU plays close football games. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm taking them. Yeah, give me Michigan here for sure. Yeah, that's for the sure, obvious pick, sure. but obvious doesn't always get it done. All right. The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Georgia and Ohio State. This is Georgia six and a half. Does that feel smaller to you? That's way small. I, I mean, I'm back in the brinks up on this one. I'm taking Georgia in a route over a soft Ohio State team that I'm still upset in the playoff. I wish there were 12 teams and not four because Ohio State's not deserving. No one else might be either, but I really hate, I mean, I really hate that the Big Ten has two teams in it. I think the Big Ten was soft this year. I don't think it's a very good conference this year. I think it's unbelievable there's two teams in there. And I hope Georgia destroys Ohio State and whoever they play next. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I hate Georgia. But Nothing will get a SEC fan, in my opinion, from my generation more fired up than Big Ten teams getting in because you and I, Alan, grew up in an era where Big Ten teams had such positive mm-hmm. bias towards them. The SEC has that now, and it just it, it bothers me. So, therefore, yeah. I'm, I'm on the Georgia And if train. you're Georgia, you'd much be, rather be playing TCU, which is weird. You oh, for sure. I mean, team, you get rewarded with a team who's... The only actually, team that's as talented as you yeah. is who you play first. That's weird. But... Matters what you do on the field. Okay, let's a few more here. So who, little, who did you take? Oh, Georgia, please. Okay, of course. Okay, please. Yeah. Okay, please. Also, that is my mom's birthday on New Year's Eve. So as you're out toasting and watching the ball drop, think of a one Lindy Virgilio out yeah. there. Happy birthday. All right, a few bonus ones here in 2023. The ReliaQuest Quest Bowl. ReliaQuest. Yeah, Mississippi State, Illinois. I guess we should say right now, Mississippi State, um, uncertain about Mike Leach's health in the hospital. Seems bad. Yeah, seems bad. Seems very bad. So, yeah, prayers and thoughts with Mike Leach. I don't know what's going to happen yeah. with this game. If that occurs. You skip it? Um, I will, we'll just pick it. I mean, I, it seems like it would definitely maybe not be played if the worst scenario is true, which could be possible. But I guess for now we'll just make a pick. It's a, it's a pick them anyway. But I think already the, the cloud of emotion that's going to hang over this game for Mississippi State has got to affect prep. And I'm going to take Illinois. Yeah, me too, sadly. All right. The Cotton Bowl, excuse me, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, Tulane and USC. USC is favored by only by two? Only by two, and that is too low. I'm taking USC, and of course Tulane, if Pratt plays in that football game, we'll get a chance to see him. We shall find yeah, out. I feel like Tulane's going to be really motivated, and USC It's not even the Rose Bowl for them. They give it up here. Give me Tulane. I love Tulane. All right, a few more here. The che- cheese it, you know, they got their own bowl, and they also have the cheese it citrus bowl. Yeah, they doubled up. Smart. Yeah, Smart. <laughs> LSU and Purdue. LSU favored by eight. 
I think that LSU is the cheesiest coach, favored by eight versus Purdue. Uh, no, I think LSU has no motivation in this game. I think their players are back. We talked about like kind of how they turned the corner and the fans were on board. This limp finish at the end of the year has reversed it entirely. Like LSU fans are right back to toxic. They're frustrated. Very interesting U-turn for them. And I think Purdue has silently put together a nice season. So I'm going to take Purdue. Yeah, LSU, even if they're unmotivated, I think they're going to beat this Purdue team. I like it. They're going to beat them, but I have eight points. Okay, that's true. All right, the Rose Bowl, Penn State, Utah. Man, that's kind of a fun one. Utah favored by two and a half. This is a classic Rose Bowl matchup in the modern era. Mm -hmm. Classic, classic modern, if you will. Uh, Utah, a lot of injuries. Penn State, kind of a ho-hum team. Always hung around that spot right there. But uh, I got to pick Utah. They, they had a thrilling Pac-12 championship win. I think, I think they're still hungry, too. I think they want to be They're hungry. They're still hungry. means a lot to them. Well, Cam Rising also, you go with where your quarterback goes, and that dude wants to win mm-hmm. every game he's playing. And I think if he's out there, he's going to be dying trying to win. All right, that's it. That's the last of the bowl games. We did it. Made all our picks. We'll see how we do. Anything else here before we close up shop? Yeah, just a quick note on Gator basketball. Are you disappointed with the start, Florida? Yeah, side? yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's still a lot of time to change their fortunes, but uh, some limitations to see that were exposed in that UConn game for sure. Yeah, we had a, we obviously had you know Justin Seitz, our basketball insider, and kind of a, a unanimous consensus that Florida could be a tournament team. Uh, not looking like it right now. Yeah, a lot of season left. They could still turn it around, but the early returns. Not super encouraging. The early returns, I think, on Golden's commentary has been exemplary. What he says makes sense. He has good game plans and scouting for each match. The team itself, though, deficient in some important areas, it seems. Uh, Maybe it's going to get ugly this year. I don't really know. But if you're following basketball, mm, keep following it. We'll see what happens by the end of the season. Mm. Uh, outside of that, enjoy a, a Florida game week right here, Alan. Enjoy, obviously. I think I think this, for me, really... My house is super decorated. Everything's loaded up now. I'm like back in Christmas mode. But this is the week where I think this Wednesday, the beginning of this week, I really begin to like get into holiday mode. All right. And I, ch- I cherish it. Like it's such a special time of year. Uh, I love it. You know, NFL moves towards the playoffs. College bowl games are on. Even if they don't matter, they're just kind of on in the background. Um, and you kind of get your calendar, hopefully, to slow down some towards the end of the year. I love this time of year. And I love doing this podcast with Alan. I missed the week. We weren't here to do it. Missed doing the film breakdown. It's great to be back in the saddle. Great to be spending time with all of you. And uh, Alan, as always, great to look at your face for a you know two-plus-hour period here. <laughs> for sure. This one was super fun. Thanks to all you guys. We'll close it up, and we'll see you after early signing day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.